Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower, here with my sister, co-host, and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Good morning. Good morning. And you know it, we are here for the live stream of the Change of Venue hearing for Chad Daybell. So we are currently just waiting for the live stream to pop up on the Judge's face uh, YouTube channel. Yeah. And we're going to be live streaming it. So, yeah, lots of exciting stuff today. And of course, as promised, we have prior bingo all set up. If you want to play bingo with us, all you have to do is go over to our Facebook page, True Crime Paranormal, and download it. Grab it. Here's what I would do if I were you. I would go download it to my phone and then pull it up in your photos and every time you want to uh mark a box just uh you know edit the picture and do a little dot on it right there you go or however you want you know and 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 i wanted to say this i mean we have a little fun with this case uh we have a little fun with prior and means we don't ever want the fun we have with this case to negate the fact that children were murdered in a horrific way and that's why we're here yes um i know that sometimes people get a little uncomfortable with our levity and so i i just want to say that we do that because this case is very hard to bear yes. and remember that it happened in our backyard like exactly you know and so i i want to make sure that you know that we know what's at stake here what happened here Absolutely. and we, we have no intention of being gross about it, you know, but we are, we do make fun and we do laugh about, you know, the parts of it we can, because it helps us to deal with the rest of it, because this is a horrifying situation. Right. So, you know, if, if the fun we have with this case makes you uncomfortable, I am sorry. And I'm not sorry, because, uh, you know, they, we, we've got to take a little where we can get it at this point. Yeah, you know, we had a grandma whose philosophy was sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. And I think that we really grew up with that mm-hmm. belief, you know, we our dad was a big joker and teaser, you know, and we kind of grew up with that that you get through difficult painful times using humor. We we sure did um when our parents were dying. Um, yeah. you know, we had a lot of really funny moments and it it helped. Mm-hmm. to get through it. And I think that's why as true crime podcasters, we do some humor is because we need it. We all need mm-hmm. to bring a little bit of levity to even the most painful situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we hope yeah. we don't make you uncomfortable, but uh, it is, uh, you know, it, it is how we operate. And it is. 
you know, that, that's how it is. But again, yeah. if you want to play prior bingo with us this morning uh, while we watch this proceeding, it, the bingo card is published. It's over on our Facebook page at True Crime Paranormal. You're welcome to go grab it. Uh, always curious to know what you'd add to it also. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is what we came up with as far as our remembrance of things that Pryor has a, a long history of saying. There's really no rules with the bingo. It's just for your own edification. Everybody's got the same card. Yeah. Um, there's no winners. We're all winners. <laughs> <So> <laughs> just get the card. Mark it when you hear him say one of his famous phrases, you know. Of yeah. course, we made voluminous the center square mm -hmm. as the free space because of <laughs> that historical <laughs> hearing in which everyone said voluminous many times. <laughs> um, There's a few that may be a little hard to get. Uh huh. Uh, prosecutor smirking. Might uh, be yep, tough. Watch for that. Every once in a while, we get one of those from a, you know, from a wood boat. You. Not every day, so I don't know. I I am curious to see what uh, his demeanor's like today. It's going to be a long hearing to keep from smirking. I got to say, right? Well, and you'll have to use your judgment on red face, redder face, and reddest face. Yes. <laughs> yep. Most definitely, and some of his famous phrases are there, and just mm -hmm. some of his famous attitude as well. So just have fun with it. Yeah. And we when had you, fun uh, making it. <laughs> you can always hop back in here and, uh, you know, and discuss. Mm -hmm. Once the hearing gets rolling, we're going to pull ourselves off screen. So we'll just be streaming the hearing and then we will come back on breaks and sort of discuss and analyze. Mm -hmm. So we will be coming in and out. And I'm sure we'll be chatting a little too because, uh, you know, uh, yeah, resist. I mean, we're going to hear all kinds of stuff that we're going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> Predictions of outcome. For one, I predict that the judge may not rule today. I, I agreed. Yep. That that he may take all of this into account and have a separate hearing in which he rules. Um, because they're going to be presenting the financials around the difference between moving the trial and bringing mm -hmm. in a sequestered jury. And I feel like he, there's a lot for him to go through. Yep. I do I feel agree. there's going to be some kind of compromise met here, which I do think honestly is probably going to be a sequestered jury. That's, that's my, that's my end question. game end game, a sequestered jury. Oh, by the way, you guys, do you remember how last week I was joking about how one of our friends got called to a grand jury and oh, yeah. was so jealous and all of that shit? Believe this. The very next day, I got a jury summons, a federal jury summons in the mail. <laughs> I will be serving, maybe. I don't know. We'll see if they take me. Uh, I don't know why they would, but <laughs> in the, uh, oh, well, I, I asked Katie are you as as your occupation are you going to list true crime podcaster or professional psychic <laughs> i think professional psychic true crime podcaster i, I think you we go. gotta throw it all on the table they'll be like what the hell this person's trying to get out of jury duty <laughs> <laughs> what's her actual job right <laughs> yeah i can't even believe it we laughed so hard don't mention my relatives right yep yeah, they got me no. out of jury duty recently. Well, yeah. several years ago now. 
So my husband can't believe I'm excited about this. He thinks I'm out of my mind. Uh, <laughs> but I'm actually very excited because this is a priceless experience that I can bring back to, right? you know, the true crime world in sitting on a federal jury. But again, so it's a, it's a one month appointment. And I guess, I don't know, that's what the paper said, but I'm not sure if that's actually completely accurate, but um, and yeah. And it, then they will, you know, pull you in and decide if they actually want you an attorney will decide if they want you on their case or not. But anyway, so that's kind of wild. So I'm going through that right now. I still need to fill out their paperwork to be fair. I have been, um, well, lazy as hell and haven't done it, but (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say busy, but I'm actually, I haven't been busy the last few days. That's okay. You for the first time in a while aren't busy. I, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's just kind of a step down from being like overly busy all the time. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it will be interesting. I, I'm going to assume we're going to see Chad Daybell today. I would be surprised if he uh, would be. I don't think they did this hearing without him present. I don't think so. I would imagine he's here for it. I assume we're also going to see Jim Archibald here to observe, um, although he can't do anything because he's Lori's attorney and she is still in the psych hospital. Yeah. And then we're going to see the three prosecutors, Smith, yeah. Wood, and uh, Blake. Uh-huh. And it's just going to be interesting to hear. I'm I'm curious to hear... What, I mean, I'm pretty sure what Pryor's going to say, you know, because we know he tried to subpoena the, the, uh, the press, the press that, you know, it's because of the heavy coverage of this case in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt, if you guys remember, he did try to subpoena the press. It didn't work out. Right. But, uh, what he did do, what the what the press did uh, settle on with him is that they did turn over to him some of their uh, demographics. <laughs> some. It was a massive amount of information, yeah. apparently. It was voluminous. Uh, it was voluminous, yes. Feel free mm-hmm. to check your free square there. Um. Hi, Nikki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. And... Yeah. So, but that was an interesting thing. You know, there's lots of things in this case that uh, have never happened before in this state, yes. you know, in obviously the judge and uh, the prosecutor uh, well, and the defense attorneys are all really paving some new uh, pathways. Yeah. And one of the things that um, happened was that, that, you know, you don't subpoena the press. I mean, they're protected by the constitution and yet uh, they did. And it didn't take long at all, like a day or two, for national press uh, organizations to get involved with their attorneys to help Nate battle back on that one. And again, you know, eventually they did drop it and just ask nicely if you would just provide us with some demographics, and they did. But anyway, just yet another case here or situation here where lots of of new ground being... uh, being broken. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just don't, you know, little old Idaho, this is not new. This is, this is new, very new for us. Yeah. 
So I did just post a link. If you're just joining us, we are, we do have a bingo game related to this hearing today because John Pryor, uh, Chad Daybell's attorney is quite well known for some of his pearl clutching phrases. And so we did create a bingo card for you to use. And so there, I put a link to it um, in the chat, or you can go to our page, our uh, Facebook page, True Crime Paranormal, and you can get the graphic there. So feel free to get your bingo card with that link in the chat or go to our Facebook page. We're doing that just for fun um, because we know from watching John Pryor in a lot of court hearings that he... Um, He's got some phrases, my friends, <laughs> that he yeah. says a lot, and uh, he gets very worked up. So we oh, did yeah. include some things in here. Um, you know, he says actually and quite honestly a lot. And hopefully um, he's wearing his signature red tie this morning so that we can, uh, you know, that, that helps to scale his level of irritation. Yes, yes well, it does. And how closely his face is matching his tie. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, in the bingo card, is he red, 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 redder or reddest? Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he does like to point out how astute the judge is on a regular basis. Yes. And so astute is on the bingo card. <laughs> you bet he does. Uh-huh. <laughs> he does Very. like to accuse the prosecutor of grandstanding and gamesmanship so those are both on, in there let's see court is in session we're not seeing it uh oh why are we not seeing it i'm not sure there it is just showed okay up. there it is let's get going here get your bingo order, card out in addition in order to allow public access and help uh and, and allow for that access the hearings being live streamed on the court's youtube channel this morning so we've got motions. This was originally scheduled on a change of venue motion. In the interim, we've had other motions filed of late uh, that I think need to be brought up first. Uh, I'll just go through the motions that I see are pending today. There was the change of venue motion that was filed by the defendant on July 21st. The state filed its response to that on September 29th. On September 29th, also the state filed a motion to sequester a jury and bring a jury in from another county for the case on October 4th. Uh, Mr. Pryor filed a response to that motion and also a motion to continue the hearing on that motion. And I allowed for shortened time to hear the motion to continue. Also, there was a motion to seal the hearing today that was, I think, filed yesterday on October 4th. And that was under uh, a request by the state to seal today's hearing. And so I think the first issue we need to bring up probably is the motion to seal the hearing, which was actually was filed on September 30th. And uh, I'll, I've reviewed the motion. Uh, I'll hear argument on the motion at this time, Ms. Blake, if you're the one that's uh, going to be arguing that motion to seal. Your Honor, I'll be arguing that motion. All right, thank you, Mr. Uh, we, we'd ask that this motion be heard, not in the public view, uh, where we're discussing issues that might need to be sealed. Uh, we leave that to the discretion of the court, but we don't think this uh, specific portion of the motion or hearing needs to be broadcasted. All right, any response, Mr. Daybell? 
I'm Mr. sorry, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Dave Belisjic, for the record, to my right today uh, in the office. Uh, Judge, frankly, um, there's no reason to seal uh, this hearing. I previously provided to the court, uh, I believe, uh, just short of eight o'clock this morning, a, not only a list which had previously been des described of all my exhibits, uh, but also the thumb drive containing all the exhibits, as well as the slides that I anticipate uh, using as part of my venue. Uh, from my perspective, there's nothing objectionable, and I purposely, uh, obviously, had a discussion with the Your court. Your Honor, he's arguing about, not about whether or not we should, about the actual motion, not about whether or not this portion of the hearing should be off the public, off, not be live streamed. Well, Judge, the point is, the point is, is that there's no reason to seal this. This, this idea that everything should be sealed because the prosecutor doesn't want it disseminated out in the public, uh, the right to a fair trial and the right to everybody hearing the evidence and what's being uh, uh, alleged by both sides is, is, is particularly important. And I, I can't for the life of me understand why this prosecutor wants to stop the public from observing uh, the reasons for this court to potentially change venue. Now, I understand Again, the Your Honor, he's already arguing the motion. I haven't even had a chance to. I'm not arguing the totally motion. Inappropriate. And it's totally inappropriate. It's not inappropriate. It's a fairly straightforward issue. And let me just indicate, we're in, part of the issue here is typically, if we didn't have the COVID issues and the limited court operations as a result of that, we would be doing a hearing in person. And if we were doing a hearing in person, then we would be in open court. And then the question would be, are we going to be in open court or closed court? Uh, because of the COVID restrictions we've got and an order we just had recently, which imposed further restrictions, uh, the court determined that conducting this remote was in the best interest of complying with that Supreme Court order uh, for this type of motion and hearing. On um, the uh, Idaho... Court Administrative Rule 32 does give the court some discretion to seal or close certain hearings or seal, either close the hearings, seal the record of the proceedings or both. Um, the court has considered that in the context of this motion. And I do find that this is a hearing that typically would be open to the public. It does deal with some issues that could create uh, further dissemination of the information we're talking about on the change of venue. But I think there are ways to do that that are less restrictive than simply closing the hearing and sealing the proceedings. Um, that's kind of a remedy of last resort under Rule 32. And so I am going to deny the motion to seal this hearing. Um, part of the issue also is, well, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I do know there are potential exhibits and there may be some testimony that needs to go off the record. And that can be done in the context of, uh, I'll give you an admonishing instruction that if we are going to get into information that's clearly inflammatory, that's clearly going to possibly create an unfair bias or prejudice uh, to potential jurors in this case, then I'm going to admonish counsel not to just Put those matters out there without giving me an opportunity or the other side an opportunity to object and determine whether or not that should go into a closed portion of the hearing where we can go still on the record but outside of the live stream portion of the proceedings. Um, the exhibits can be reviewed in camera 
uh, I'm going to instruct council, they're not going to be broadcast or live streamed, uh, the particular exhibits that may be used uh, in support or opposition to the motion. And so with those um, precautions in place, I don't think we rise to the level of needing to close the hearing and seal the proceedings under 32, because again, this is typically something that the public's entitled to see as an open hearing uh, in a criminal proceeding. So with those admonishments in mind, council, we're going to go forward. This will be an open hearing. Uh, and if we do have matters that need to be taken up off the record, we can do that. And I have the ability to close that part of the hearing or seal that part of the proceedings. So that'll be my ruling on the motion to seal. Uh, any questions on that ruling, Mr. Wood? No, I would just note on the record that the state filed the motion. Mr. Pryor clearly argued that the state was not allowed to make any argument in favor of this motion. But we do understand, Your Honor. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Any questions on that, Mr. Pryor? No questions, Judge. Thank you. Okay. The next uh, issue that I think we need to raise would be the motion to continue, because I know it'll get into the middle of that when we're doing the venue motion. But there was a motion the state filed uh, to sequester, and there was a motion then to continue the hearing on that. So I want to be heard on that motion to continue the hearing on the state's motion, Mr. Pryor. If I may, Judge. Yes. Judge, I uh, took the liberty of spending the entire weekend putting together a brief on what I think are the pertinent points. Uh, I'm not going to belabor them. Uh, if the court looks at my reply, you will see there are a number of uh, issues that, that come into play. Uh, my reading of the motion to sequester only occurs after the court has decided, one, whether there's a change of venue, and two, where that venue change occurs. At that point, uh, the state's motion to sequester becomes ripe at that point. Uh, it's a premature motion. The other issue is this, Judge, if you read my reply, there are a significant number of financial factors that go into whether this court uh, should sequester jurors for what is likely to be a two-month trial and the cost of that. And before I know where the trial will be uh, or the jurors would potentially come from, what county, I can't do a fair assessment financially, and it's completely unfair. Mr. Wood filed this on the 29th. Uh, six days later, I'm supposed to address a motion when, frankly, Judge, my uh, venue motion has been sitting out there for two months, and Mr. Wood filed his response six days ago. So it's, it's a little unfair, it's premature, and I think the arguments I made in my reply speak for themselves, Your Honor. All right, thank you, Mr. Pryor. Uh, response from the state on the motion to continue. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, I would note that the motion to sequester a jury is not dependent upon the outcome of a change of venue. The state will be asking and has asked for the jury to be sequestered no matter where we are. So whether the court today changes venue and we have this trial somewhere else, or transfers trial, I should say, whether the court uh, decides to change venue and then bust the jury back, as the state has recommended, if the court feels that it's necessary, or whether the court decides that Mr. Pryor hasn't met his burden, because it is his burden today, and that the change of venue doesn't happen, we're going to be asking for a sequestered jury to the state. That's a sunk cost. Uh, so the costs that, that the state is concerned about and will be concerned about are, are the additional costs of changing venue. Uh, and that's why we've made the request that in the event the court 
uh, out of an abundance of caution, decides to transfer trial, that uh, that we bust them back. In, in terms of this unfairness issue, I'd note that Mr. Pryor keeps complaining about the lack of a brief or reply. He never filed a brief in support of his change of menu, venue. I'd note that this uh, binder of documents he's talking about was delivered to Fremont County's office this morning. I don't know if we're supposed to print those off. I have, I'm still waiting to get my copy of it, which I'm sure I will soon. But so this idea of unfairness, that's, it's a little out of place. Um, Your Honor, the, the issue of sequestering a jury uh, does dovetail with change of venue, and it should be allowed to be heard today. Judge, in reply, and I'll be very brief, uh, Mr. Wood in his pleadings on the 29th, uh, two months after I filed my change of venue, indicated that he's not objecting to a change of venue. So at this point, well, I- Mr. Mr. Pryor, I disagree. I mean, there's some statements in there that, you know, to, I think, to avoid appeals, et cetera, they may agree to that. There's also a pretty clear statement in his pleading that they believe they can get a fair and impartial jury in Fremont County. So that's an issue still needs to be determined at the change of venue motion. And I don't see that as a stipulation at this point that we may get there, but I think we have to have that hearing first to determine what the state's position is on that issue. Well, judge, again, if the court's going to look at this in terms of financial factor, uh, where exactly are we going to uh, derive this, this sequester jury from uh, and what county are we going to derive it from? And to give me uh, in all, in, in reality, a couple of days to prepare the financial information to uh, um, uh, to address this, uh, this this sequestering the jury is, is just blatantly unfair. Uh, I would point out in Mr. Wood's response when I delivered my notebook to everybody, I had delivered several, several weeks ago the same items on a thumb drive. I hand-delivered it to to Miss Blake, and I hand delivered it to the court, and it's the same documents, with the exception of a couple of additional things that I just received, uh, as before. And the notebook I provided is in is in uh, response to this court's direction to us that we are not to broadcast uh, 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 ish, uh, items that we find might be uh, um, influencing how the jury and potential jury would look at this. So I'll explain the notebook and I'll explain, but all of the documents have been provided and they were previously provided probably what, six weeks ago. So Mr. Wood, Mr. Woods, uh, you know, I don't appreciate the argument. Well, all right, I'll, I'll go back on that point. Really the argument kind of stemmed from something that you brought up at the prior hearing, Mr. Pryor, where you said that they're late filing just before the status conference was some sort of gamesmanship to which I disagree. I've dealt with uh, both Ms. Blake and Mr. Wood on many, many occasions on many criminal case, cases and don't find them to be prosecutors that are playing games in any sort. And I think that's what kind of started this line of uh, personal insults to the attorneys back and forth. And I admonish both of you that just keep things professional here. I'm not sure what the late filing reason was. On the motion to sequester, I know that it was filed on the 29th of uh, September. We're now on the 5th of October. According to Criminal Rule 45C, motions need to be filed at least seven days before hearing. And so uh, that's one reason I'm looking at to grant the motion to continue on the issue of sequestering a jury. But I think more importantly, going to the point of the substance of that motion, um, I think it is 
premature because the decision needs to be made as to venue. Uh, and that would actually, it's not technically change of venue, it's the transfer of the trial if that does happen. Where that would be and how that would be done uh, is only going to be determined after we make the decision based on the pending motion today. So uh, I still understand the state's request and uh, we may need a future hearing on that or the court may be able to determine that from what's heard today. But in terms of a separate hearing on sequestering the jury, I think it is premature. Uh, the other factor I'm looking at is the fact that we don't even currently have trials scheduled in the case because we need to get through this venue motion. And so uh, for those reasons, I am going to um, grant the motion to continue on the sequestration issue. That motion then will be kept under advisement until such time as it can be heard at a future date. So that'll be the ruling on that. So council, that'll bring us up then to the motion we're here for today, which is the motion filed on July 21st, which is uh, styled as a motion to change a venue. The court would note that's filed under criminal rule 21, um, which is a transfer of trial. So to be clear, the venue itself of the case does not change, but the location of the trial is what we're talking about, whether or not that should take place in Fremont County or not. And I'm prepared to hear argument on that issue today. So uh, Mr. Pryor, are you ready to present argument in support of the motion? And then I'll ask the state if they're ready to respond on that. Yes, Judge, and I will be calling my first witness, Mr. Bryan, when the state, when the court directs me to start. All right, um, who's gonna be arguing in opposition on behalf of the state on this? Your Honor, the state would, and with, again, with due respect to the court, the state does have a standing objection to holding any hearing which may affect the trial rights of Lori Vallow-Daybell while her case is stayed and while Mr. Daybell has waived his speedy trial. We understand the court's ruled on that. We're not making a motion, just putting that objection on the record. Very well, objection so noted. When we, as we get started here, I do think it is worth pointing out, um, I typically ask for something like an opening statement on a on a motion, but I, I do want some clarification if I could. I think before we get into argument on, on the state's uh, position here, because again, there was some talk that maybe the state is either conceding or stipulating that uh, trials should be transferred. Um, however, I'd note in the state's response also, there was a pretty unequivocal statement you've got on paragraph six, page five, that says the state asserts that the citizens of Fremont can provide fair and impartial jurors capable of following instructions from the court. So I guess I'd like some clarification on where the state stands on this issue before we get started. Um, Mr. Wood? Sure. Absolutely, Your Honor. Um, and I would note that the state never said it stipulated or conceded that a transfer of trial was necessary. What the state has said is, uh, one, we do believe that a fair and impartial jury can be found in Fremont County. We don't believe Mr., uh, that the defendant will be able to meet that burden. Uh, two, uh, however, we do recognize it's a matter of discretion for the court. And as long as the court reasons out that that, standard, that decision should be upheld. Um, in what we've said is in an abundance of caution in the event that the, the court 
decides to transfer trial, we won't object to that if we can follow the code and bust the jurors back in to Fremont County, hold the trial where venue is proper, which I would note is specifically provided for in statute. I'm not making that argument right now, just that's the state's position that if that's the case, and we certainly don't object to that out of an abundance of caution. But as to whether or not a transfer of trial is necessary, no, we don't believe that it is. Okay, I appreciate the clarification on that point. So with that in mind, then it will be a contested motion. So Mr. Pryor, it is your motion. If you'd like to call your first witness, then you may. Judge, I would call Mr. David Bryan from Ironwood Insights, if the clerk would swear him in. All right, Mr. Bryan, if you'd please raise your right hand, I'll have the clerk administer the oath. Solemnly swear or affirm the testimony you will give in the pending cause will be the full truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. I do. All right, as we think you can lower your hand, as we get started here, Mr. Pryor, I would ask that you keep in mind the admonishment I gave previously in terms of any specific references that would be particularly inflammatory or otherwise that may further compound this issue. We can do things off the, not off the record, they'll still be on the record, but in a closed portion of this hearing. So I'd ask you to keep that in mind when you're eliciting responses from this witness. And with that in mind, you may inquire. Mr. Bryan, would you state your name and spell your last name for the record, please, sir? David Allen Bryant, B-R-Y-A-N-T. Mr. Bryan, how are you employed, sir? I am the Vice President of Analytics at Ironwood Insights Group. And what is Ironwood Insights Group? It's a full-service marketing research firm based in Arizona. Okay, and you were retained to do a survey regarding the Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell case, is that correct? Correct. And what steps did you take as part of your process to conduct that survey? Well, the first thing I did was I did a literature search on media so that I was aware of all of the various names and people associated with this case. I then developed the questionnaire, and that questionnaire was sent to Mark Means. I don't know if he shared it with you or not, Mr. Pryor, but we then received some corrections back on the questionnaire. Once that was approved, we then programmed the questionnaire for both telephone and internet, and we administered that survey between February 15th and February 28th earlier this year in 2021. Okay, let me talk a little bit about your experience in conducting these sorts of surveys. Can you provide us some background information in terms of your experience in doing these sort of things? Yes, I have been doing marketing research, survey research, polling research since 1980 when I originally started working for Dr. Richard Werthlin, who was Ronald Reagan's pollster. So that's 
So I've been doing this for over 40 years and analyzing statistics and designing questionnaires and, and pre preparing reports based okay. on those survey results. So you have done this for a significant amount of time, have a significant amount of experience. Is that a fair assessment? Well, I like to think so, yes, 40 okay. years. Is there anything that, uh, um, as part of this survey, that you deviated from uh, in terms of the standards that are, uh, that are put upon people who conduct surveys in your particular business? No, we adhere to um, the standards of APOR, the American Association of Public Opinion Research, and the Insights Association. These are standards for uh, maintaining confidentiality of respondents and and the way the survey was developed. It's developed to be unbiased in terms of its um, questions and the sequence of the questions. And so, no, we adhered, we strove to adhere to the, the highest standards, which is, uh, in my opinion, the APOR standards, the American, Assist American Association of Public Opinion Research. Okay. Now, previously, last week, you provided me a copy of the, the, the study and the questions. Is that right? Correct. And Judge, those questions in that study were submitted to the court as exhibit. I believe it's exhibit number 10. Um, you and I discussed the Ironwood Insights uh, um, report. We discussed the survey. And the copy you provided to me was a true and accurate copy of the survey that was conducted in this particular case. Is that correct? Correct. Judge, I would move for admission of the Ironwood Insights Report and Survey. Uh, that's marked in the booklet that I provided uh, to uh, counsel and to the court and to your clerk as exhibit number 10 in my notebook. All right. Your Honor, the state of Jackson would like to ask some questions in aid of objection. All right, go ahead. Thank you, uh, Mr. Bryant. I'm not gonna get into any of the specific findings of your survey as I ask these questions. Uh, but I do have a few questions. You did say that uh, you provided an initial questionnaire to Mark Beans and he provided corrections. Is that true? Yes. Uh, Mr. Bryan, are you familiar with the standards set forth by the Pittsburgh Press Club versus United States case for admitting um, surveys and polls into evidence? No. Okay. Are you aware? that when a survey is supposed to be admitted into evidence, that the survey must be conducted independently of the attorneys involved in the litigation? No. Okay. I wanna ask you a couple other questions uh, to go to the admissibility. Again, I'm not gonna ask you any of the uh, substance of the survey. I, in your survey, how many counties did you conduct a survey in? Four. What were those counties? Bonneville, Fremont, Jefferson, and Madison. Okay, and what percentage of the people surveyed were in Fremont County? Judge, we're going beyond the scope of his objection. At this point, he's questioning my witness. And this goes directly to admissibility. All right. Before you jump in, counsel, give me an opportunity if there's an objection. The issue here is admissibility. Exhibit 10 has been offered. There's been an objection. Um, I, without getting further into cross-examination, which this is becoming, Mr. Wood, what is the grounds for the objection to Exhibit 10? This poll is irrelevant, Your Honor. And what's that based on? 
this poll is a combination of a survey of Bonneville, Fremont, Jefferson, and Madison County. We are here today for the sole purpose of determining whether or not Fremont County is an appropriate venue. And yet this poll does not provide survey results simply for Fremont County. It's a combined uh, poll. Now, I'm not, Mr. Bryant may have had a reason at the time to do that. However, we're not here today to determine if Bonneville, Madison, Fremont, and Jefferson combined can provide a fair and impartial jury, just Fremont County. And so uh, where this poll has all these other results from other counties, almost 90% of the results are from other counties. And it's not, and it's not divvied out by county. This poll is irrelevant today's, to this survey and report are irrelevant to today's proceedings. Right, also, here. this poll does not meet the standards met in, and Mr. Pryor has not even made an effort to lay the foundation required by Pittsburgh Press Club versus United States. So there's also a, a foundation objection. All right, your response to those objections, Mr. Pryor. Judge, to suggest that I'm supposed to limit my, uh, my survey to one particular county is ridiculous. And to suggest if he wants to make the argument that because Fremont was only a portion of this survey, that the results are invalid, I'll be dealing that with Mr. Bryant. As far as the Pittsburgh case that he refers to, Judge, the survey, if you read the case, it says that the, the, the attorney is involved in the actual polling, the attorney's intimately involved in the case. To suggest that, that Mr. Means or myself cannot make suggestions to Mr. Bryant in terms of what areas we would like to explore for purposes of a survey is absolutely ridiculous. And Mr. Bryant's gonna address those. All right, there's a pending objection. Uh, Council, I'm gonna take this under advisement for just a minute and review that case. I've seen the case, but I haven't read it recently. So I'm gonna take a moment, take a look at that. Uh, after I've reviewed that case, I'll come back on and make a ruling on the, uh, on the objection as to foundation. Okay, well, we'll come back here for just a moment while uh, the judge is reviewing that case. So uh, things are off to the races here, you guys. <laughs> Katie, I think you're muted because I can't hear you. Oh, I was. There you uh, are. <laughs> very disappointed with the uh, camera angle of uh prior and chad right? oh my god chad looks like shit huh he Ooh. looks terrible he does but yes it's hard to see them um, that's what a strict diet of hot pockets for 16 months will get you boys and girls i i think so yes <laughs> <laughs> um this is interesting you know because this um these surveys have been hotly uh debated many times before and i'm surprised that prior is presenting it as his evidence knowing oh, yeah how much um how problematic they are and mark means had the ability to make corrections yeah that's the problem uh, what first of all mark means his case is not even being seen here then this was secondarily given to prior Mm -hmm. That seems sketchy as hell. Mm -hmm. And these guys are not following the obvious rules of evidence for these kinds of reviews. And that's what Wood is saying is that none of this applies. Plus, 
they're ruling on Fremont County today and this survey covers four counties. What, I don't know what Pryor was thinking here. Right, I mean, that really, uh, (laughs) that's a damn good point on the part of the prosecutor and something I hadn't really thought about, but why were they polling multiple counties just to show that also these counties wouldn't be appropriate? Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, prior stalling. Exactly. Yeah. That That's just what we keep seeing. It's just more stuff like this because, I mean, what's their defense? What's their actual defense? There isn't yeah. one. But yeah. it is a very interesting um, uh, argument here. Uh-huh. Well, in that they didn't follow, like, these are not, this company is not the kind of company that should be doing this kind of a uh, poll for a jury. Yeah. Um, they don't know what the hell they're doing. This is right. not what they normally do. They're a marketing firm. What and political polling? Yeah, yeah, totally different because there are laws in place. That I love impact. how he threw out that Ronald Reagan comment, like that was going to be really impressive. Oh uh, yeah, but everyone's like, uh, hmm. "What does that have to do with a yeah capital case?" Oh, we're back. All right, counsel, we'll be back on the record here. The court has considered an objection to the admission of defendants exhibit 10. Uh, the state cited the Pittsburgh Press Club case. Courts reviewed that, which raises the issue of whether or not uh, a survey would be admissible if it is uh, material, if it's more probative on an issue than other evidence and has circumstantial guarantees of trustworthiness equivalent uh, to those of the class exceptions they talked about in that case. And then the proponent of admitting that has the burden of establishing the elements of the admissibility. So uh, at this point, the objection was based on relevance and foundation. Uh, On the relevance issue, I do find that for purposes of this hearing, there's been a uh, foundation, it's been established that it may be relevant, subject, of course, to cross-examination if Mr. Wood believes there's issues with the way it was conducted. In terms of the foundation at this point, uh, I would indicate, Mr. Pryor, I don't believe there's been a sufficient foundation laid for the admission of that, but I'll allow additional foundational questions if you have those from your witness before making a final ruling. Okay. And Mr. Bryan, I want to start again. Can you hear me, sir? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. So at this point, the the survey that was conducted by your... um, um, organization was done in the ordinary course of your uh, business uh, from your company. Is that correct? Yes. And nothing deviated from the standard procedures that you applied and the standards that are set out by your uh, trade and organization. Is that correct? Correct. And you conducted the survey. Now, in regards to the questions, ultimately, uh, Mr. Means did provide you some suggestions, but ultimately you formatted and put together all the questions yourself through your organization. Is that right? Yes. And then those questions were transmitted out on a variety of medium. Is that correct? Correct. Both. We conducted the survey by telephone and by internet, by an invite to a web survey. Now, based on the size of this survey, and before we get into that, when we're talking about the, um, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the percentage of error or the percentage that uh, would apply to a particular survey such as this, how much of a percentage of error or uh, um, a deviant deviation is there on a survey such as this? The traditional 
explanation in a beginning statistics class is you assume that responses are 50-50, 50% said yes to this or 50% said no. So based on that 50-50, we had a total of 177 completed surveys, which yields a sampling error of plus or minus 7.3%. That is, that table is actually included at the end of the report. Um, as you move towards further extremes, as numbers become 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, and so on, then that sampling error becomes smaller and smaller. <clears throat> well, that brings up an interesting point, is that part of the questions and part of this survey was to decide and find out what people's feelings were regarding the, the Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow case, correct? Yes. And one of the questions, obviously, was whether or not people in the survey thought that Mr. Daybell or Ms. Vallow were guilty. Is that correct? Correct. And the percentage... Actually, we're getting into the substance of the, uh, the poll without it being properly admitted. I don't need to admit it yet. Well... If we're going to testify off of it and the results, then it does. It's been offered, and we need to get a ruling on the admissibility. So uh, I've allowed for additional foundation. Do you have any additional argument on the objection to the admission of that survey, Mr. Wood? Yes, Your Honor. There are seven factors that Pittsburgh requires. Uh, so far, Mr. Pryor has, I do believe he has established Mr. Bryant as a uh, um, as an expert. Uh, however, he has not met any of the other requirements. In fact, he has, I would argue, uh, actually gone against some of those requirements. And so we still object to the, he has not laid the proper foundation for this poll or the results to be admitted into court. All right. At this point, I have considered that objection in light of that. Uh, Pittsburgh Press Club case. I would note that uh, the question here is not ultimate admissibility at trial uh, for either a jury or a court to consider on the ultimate issue that may go to the results of the survey, as was the case in there. Uh, this is a hearing as it relates to argument regarding publicity in a venue motion. And so based on the context of where we are, the court does find that for purposes of this hearing only, the survey will be admissible, of course, subject to cross-examination, Mr. Wood, if you have an uh, issue with the way it was conducted. So the court will allow the admission of exhibit number 10, and that will be admitted into the record. Thank you, Judge. May I continue? You may. And Mr. Um, Bryant, so we were on the subject. I'm sorry, I just had a uh, hesitation there. Uh, Mr. Bryant, we were on the subject of... Um, the survey that was conducted in this particular case. And uh, one of the areas of the survey addressed the issue of whether or not uh, the people who responded to the survey felt that Mr. Daybell or Ms. Vallow were guilty. And uh, can you talk a little bit about the response that you elicited from the survey? Yes, the specific wording of the question was, and this is question nine, if you were to say you lean one way or the other right now about the guilt or innocence of Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell, which way would you lean? Now, from the 177 uh, respondents, we had 82.4% said they were guilty. 
Okay. And only one person said they were innocent. We had a very, um, we had 3.4% said they were innocent until proven guilty. And 11.4% said that they needed more information before they were able to answer the question. Okay, now in applying the margin of error on this particular question, 82%, what is the range of possibility uh, you had previously discussed that as you get higher up in the level of percentage? Now, we're talking a situation where eight out of 10 people from Madison, Fremont, Bonneville, and Jefferson County determined 80% of those people in, those, in the survey from those particular counties determined that Mr. Daybell and Ms. Vallow were guilty. What's the margin of error? How high could that number actually be given the margin of error that you would, from your experience, apply in this particular case? Your Honor, I want to object to relevance where, uh, again, this doesn't just apply to Fremont County and we're dealing with multiple other counties. Judge, you've already ruled on that. Can I go forward, please? I'll overrule that objection. Go ahead. Again, sir, what is the margin of error when we're talking about eight out of 10 people, more than eight out of 10 people already determining in this particular district that uh, Mr. Daybell is guilty? What's the margin of error, sir? 5.8%. So if we apply the 5.8 to the 82 point, what percent? 82.4. Now my math may be a little off, but I come up with 88% given the high end of the margin of error. Is that fair? Sure. Okay. Well, 5.8 5. 5. plus 8.4 is... is uh, well, 82.4 plus 5.8, yes. In, in, in north of 88% of the people believing that Mr. Daybell is guilty. Is that fair? Yes, but it also goes the other way. It goes... And I'm going to talk about that. It can go the other way as well. It could go down to 77 or 76 correct. something percent, correct? Correct. Now, in your experience, and you talked about over 40 years doing this, how often have you run into a poll that was so slanted in one particular direction? Well, it does occur. Um, if you ask someone how satisfied they are with their new car, 82% might say they're very satisfied with their car. In this case, this was this is a very large percentage of people who believe that um, Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell, well, they lean towards their guilt. Okay. Now it's the a, other- well, It's I'm a very sorry. high percentage, yes. So this is, the, you would consider this a very high percentage? Yes. Okay. Now, one of the other questions applied to whether or not uh, Ms. Uh, Vallow and Mr. Daybell could get a fair trial, correct? Correct. Now, taking into consideration that over 82% believe that Mr. Daybell is guilty, one of the other questions you asked is whether or not he could get a fair trial. What were the responses in regard to that? Well, we had 22.6% said that they definitely will receive a fair trial in Fremont, Madison, Bonneville, or Jefferson County. And an additional 37.3% said that they probably will, which is a total of um, 59.9%, almost 60% or six out of 10 uh, respondents felt that they would receive a fair trial in one of those four counties. Okay, so uh, I'm I'm a bit confused. 82% say that he's guilty, but in spite of being guilty, 
uh, he'll still get a fair trial. Is that what the, the polling seems to suggest from the folks in Jefferson, Fremont, Madison, and Bonneville County? Correct. Okay. Now I want to talk about particulars by way of county, and Mr. Wood brought this up. What are the percentage of respondents from Bonneville County? 55.4% uh, of all the respondents were from Bonneville. Obviously, that's where the, we were able to get the most respondents. And obviously, that's a significant population in Bonneville County as well, correct? Correct. We're talking uh, somewhere around 120,000 plus people, correct? I can't verify that. Sorry, I didn't verify those numbers before getting on this. And obviously, uh, if you're talking about Boise, you're talking about a market. in It's not as big of a market as, as you would find uh, half a million people in the Boise market, correct? Well, that's correct. Direction yeah. assumes facts, not in evidence. Sustained. I'll strike that answer. Okay. So at, at, at this point, what were the percentage of Fremont County? Uh, we only got, we were only able to obtain 10.2% of our 177 respondents. So about 18 people were from Fremont County. Does that change your, uh, your factors in terms of the margin of error any? Well, not on the overall survey responses of 177, no, but um, if we had to just analyze the 18 people in Fremont County, yes, it would create very large sampling errors. Right, right. So uh, the, the idea is not just to limit yourself to Fremont County. The idea is to get an overbroad spectrum of people from a variety of areas to get a, a more accurate polling of what people's beliefs are. Would that be fair? Yes. Okay, so what did we do in Jefferson County? How many people over there? Well, we received 15.8%, uh, about almost 16% of our 177 are there in um, Jefferson County. And then how about Madison County? 18.6%. Uh, okay. So the people as a result of this survey were predominantly from uh, Bonneville County. Is that correct? Correct. Well, and over 50% from right. all four counties came from that one county. Right. So predominantly the idea here, and, and obviously you're the expert in this, is to uh, draw from a large swath of, of people to get a more accurate representation of how people in eastern Idaho feel about uh, Mr. Daybell and Ms. Fallow. Would that be fair? Well, that was the objective, yes, to collect information from all four of those counties. And the cumulative information only provides a, a at 80%. Uh, all of the cumulative counties and the information that was obtained uh, provides a margin of error of just a little over 5% then. Is that correct? Well, on that one question where it's 82% who said yes, they leaned towards um, the defendants being guilty. Right. Okay. Judge, I don't have any further questions. I'll defer to counsel at this point. All right, Mr. Wood, cross-examination. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Mr. Bryant, thanks for being here. Um, I want to talk about the universe you chose to conduct your poll. Um, you did state, correct, that uh, your participants needed to be at least 18 years of age have a, and either have a valid driver's license or be a registered voter in Idaho living in Bonneville, Fremont, Jefferson, and Madison counties, correct? Correct. 
And you did that to make sure that the people you polled were potential jurors, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, I want to talk about, you said Mr. Means gave you suggestions on questions. Yes, uh, um, I wrote the question, and I have to tell you, um, thank you for asking that. The big, the one big change that Mr. Means gave is he wanted to make sure that the word Vallow was in, included in Lori Vallow Daybell's name. Okay, but so the, he did participate at some level in the creation of the questions. Yes, I did not include Vallow in Lori Daybell's name. And did he, uh, did he make any other suggestions to you? I don't recall that he did, no. Okay. okay. I want to talk about your representative sample. You've said that 10.2% of the individuals polled came from Fremont County, correct? Correct. And, and that, that, according to my math, is about 18 people. Is that correct? Yes, I actually have the numbers right here. Um, actual numbers, if you don't mind. That would be great. Uh, we actually have achieved 98 out of Bonneville, 18 out of Fremont, 28 out of Jefferson, and 33 out of Madison. I can repeat those if you need me to. I've got it. Thank you. Um, You've been conducting surveys and polls for, you said, approximately 40 years. Correct. How many times have you polled as to the guilt of a criminal defendant uh, in an area where the, a juror could be called? Twice before. Twice before. So this isn't done regularly, is it? No. I have to admit, most of my research is in uh, healthcare, public policy. Okay. And so in doing your poll, or let me ask you this. Are you familiar with, did you study uh, any census numbers to get the relative populations of the counties you polled? No. Okay. And you said that you sent an invite out for the poll online. Is that accurate? Correct. And so... And how did people respond to that? Was, what was the methodology for sending that out? And how did people respond to it? We contract with a, a sampling firm, specifically Dynata, which is one of the largest in the United States. They're based out of uh, Provo, Utah. And Dynata, we, we requested panel sample uh, meeting. We identified the criteria of over a certain age, driver's license, um, registered voter in those four counties. They told us how many they had where they had email addresses, and they told us how many they would have where they had telephone numbers. So when they had um, email addresses, we sent them an invite indicating that we were conducting a poll with residents in those four counties. And um, if we were able to get a response um, by web via an online survey, then we collected those. If, they, if we had both an email address and a telephone number, 
and they did not respond to the uh, web invite. We then followed up with a telephone call. If all we had was a telephone number, then we started out conducting uh, by calling, making telephone calls. Okay. Um, in the email that was sent out, did it identify what the subject of the poll was? Yes. Okay. So someone who is interested in that issue might be more likely to take that poll, correct? That's correct. Okay. I mean, we did not say it was a murder trial in eastern Idaho. We just said uh, we're interested in your opinion about a local uh, a court case that you may or may not have heard of. Okay, so it didn't identify it by the words Vallow or Daybell? No. Okay. All right. So let's get to... Uh, we're here today, Mr. Bryant, to determine if jurors in Fremont County are able to be unbiased in, in a jury trial. And so as I look at your poll, I cannot read this and get information specifically about jurors in Fremont County, correct? That is correct. Because and, we were, we were requested, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we were requested specifically by Mr. Means to conduct the survey in all four counties. Right. And he did not request that you divvy that up county by county, correct? Uh, That's correct. Okay. And so if I want to know, if I want to poll and survey uh, potential jurors in Fremont County, um, well, let strike that. Did you do any type of county to county comparison in the numbers you received? No, I was not requested okay. to do that. Okay. And I think you testified earlier you're not familiar with the population size of Fremont County, correct? Correct. Okay. Really quick, was this poll conducted, do you know if it was conducted on behalf of Lori Vallow Daybell or Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell? Wow, my understanding is that it was being conducted on behalf of both. Okay. That's my understanding. Okay. And I would, and you, when you ask the questions in your poll about guilt, say question nine, you didn't separate Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell, did you? No. So again, and sorry, I kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but if, if I want to, again, uh, I can't look at this poll and know and, and separate information about Fremont County without it being combined with information from those other three counties. Well, I could do that, but given that we only have 18 respondents from that county, your sampling error is going to be huge. And I usually, as a rule of thumb, we don't, we don't, um, we don't put forth results for just anything under 25 respondents. And with only okay. 18 in, in that particular county, the numbers would have very large sampling errors. Okay. And so you, and would you agree with me that 18 individuals is a very small amount 
of individuals to pull uh, on an issue like this? Well, if I'm looking at just that one particular county, yes, but uh, the objectives that were given to us from the research uh, specifications were, were not to just survey just one county. Sure, and, and I understand that. And the questions I'm asking are not necessarily what you were asked to do. I, uh, we understand you, you, were, you were given a commission and then you followed that commission. I'm not questioning that. It's the applicability, applicability to Fremont County. Um, and well, with only 18 respondents, I would not apply the results from those 18 respondents to reflect the entire opinion of residents in Fremont County. I Thank you. Um, I, just, I have just a couple more quick questions. Um, I would note that your question one, it reads, are you familiar with any crimes that happened in the Rexburg area over the last couple of years where two or more people were killed? That's the question, correct? Yes. And you would agree, would you not, that the moment you say the word crime, you imply that someone's guilty, correct? Because crimes don't commit themselves. Well, you're getting into semantics here, uh, Mr. Wood. I, I guess um, yeah. that's the language I put in the questionnaire, and exactly. nobody objected. Did you ask? Did you ever ask anybody if they believed that individuals are entitled to a presumption of innocence before proven guilty? Uh, no. That was not the, again, the objective. However, we did have that as a, a, a response category that had been assigned to question nine. When you're reading up, just for clarification, when you're doing a web survey, these were all what we call closed-ended questions. And so when someone saw the question nine, if you were to say you lean one way or the other, about the guilt or innocence of Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell, which way would you lean? Respondents, all the respondents saw the possible responses of guilty, innocent, innocent until proven guilty, and need more information before answering. And they had the option of saying, I don't know. So they saw those on the screen as they were conducting the survey. Similarly, if they participated in the survey via the telephone, the interviewer read those response categories to the respondent. And so there again, um, they heard the words innocent until proven guilty. Okay. Did that answer your question? Uh, somewhat. Uh, Not exactly. It, I, I understand a little more how the poll was conducted now. Um, based on the way these questions were asked, were, would you be able to separate out the bias against Chad Daybell as opposed to Lori Vallow Daybell? No. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, um, the only thing that gets to that is, um, is we have, um, you know, we have questions three and four. Question three, do you remember any details about this crime or the people involved? That was an open-ended question. So we didn't give them any names, but, um, and so you can see in question three, 39.2% uh, mentioned um, 
Lori Vallow Daybell, 35.2% mentioned Chad Daybell. Those are, those are what we call open-ended questions. I didn't give them a, a list of options to select from. People okay. mentioned Lori Vallow Daybell or, and or Chad Daybell. Okay. Um, now, based on your answer that you uh, can't separate the bias totally uh, between Mr. Daybell and Mrs. Vallow Daybell, is it also fair to say you cannot separate the bias between Mr. Daybell and Mrs. Vallow Daybell in Fremont County? Oh, definitely not. Not from only 18 respondents, no. I, so, Mr. Bryant, I, with the way you're answering these questions, uh, if you were to conduct a poll for the purposes of finding if uh, a jury could be pulled in Fremont County only, you would have conduct, you would have wanted to question a lot more than 18 people, correct? Well, I would have, yes. Uh, okay. Statistical rigor, uh, rules of um, APOR would have requested or would require that we had at least 100 completes just from that one com county. Okay. I just have a, just a couple more questions. Uh, did you have any help uh, in conducting the survey from people in your firm? Absolutely, yes. Uh, we had a, I had a project manager. I had programmers who programmed the survey. Um, and and would, you, I, would you consider those people that work with you to be experts? Well, absolutely. Um, okay, uh, that, that, that suffices. I don't... Yes. Uh, um, you, were you aware of the purpose of the litigation when you conducted your poll? It was originally mentioned to us by Mr. Means that, yes, this was a specifically the Fremont change of venue survey. Okay. Um, and again, you, you testified earlier that you're not familiar with the United States Supreme Court case, Pittsburgh Press Club versus United States. Yeah, no. I'm going to object at this yeah. point. This court made a ruling on that issue, and Mr. Means is just, or Mr. Means, excuse me, Mr. Wood is just trying to uh, relitigate an issue that this court already addressed. That's Your over. Honor, I'm entitled to ask questions that go to the it's weight of the story. I'm making a ruling already, Mr. Wood. It's overruled. I think it is still relevant, so you can answer the question or you can re ask it, Mr. Wood. No, he, uh, he, he did answer the question, if, if I'm correct, that he was aware of the purpose of the litigation, Your Honor. And, and the question, uh, the this time about, Mr. Wood, the question objected to is about the press club opinion. And I don't believe oh. it was an answer. Well, he already testified to that, Your Honor. He wasn't aware of that story. Um, at this time, the state has no further questions for Mr. Bryant. Uh, the state would make a second motion to exclude, though, based on Mr. Bryant's answers, that this poll for the purposes of Fremont County uh, is simply not sufficient. I think he said he need 100 complete surveys, uh, and there are only 18. So, again, the state makes a second motion based on lack of relevance to exclude this poll. All right. Your response to that uh, motion before we get into further redirect, Mr. Yeah. Pryor. Judge, at this point, the, the survey was done in a four-county area that included Fremont County. As a whole, 
and as a complete whole of 170 plus response, 77 responses, uh, Mr. Bryan testified that the margin of error is 5.8%. So as a whole, in counties that include Fremont, in counties that include Madison, in counties that include Jefferson and Bonneville. Now the allegations in this case uh, are, are rise out of both Madison and Fremont County. To, to have this court order uh, myself or Mr. Means to do a survey in Fremont, then do a survey in Madison, then do a survey in Jefferson, and then do a survey in Bonneville would be prohibitive. So my feeling is, is if the court wants to apply whatever weight to this survey it wants to apply, that's the court's prerogative. And at this point, uh, the relevant argue is, is, is just is not is inapplicable in this particular situation. It's clearly relevant. All right, I've considered the state's second motion to exclude after the testimony of Mr. Bryant. Uh, the issue that's brought up for the court is the small number of Fremont County citizens that were polled as part of this polling, uh, a total of 18. The issue before the court is whether or not a fair and impartial jury can be found within Fremont County. And for purposes of this hearing, which is what the Exhibit 10 is being proffered for, and the issue as it relates exclusively to Fremont County, uh, the court does find, based on the responses of Mr. Bryant, that Exhibit 10 will not be considered both for lacking foundation and on relevance grounds, mostly based on his very uh, candid testimony that he would not apply the results of the survey to Fremont County because the sampling error was too small and the margin of error uh, would be potentially too large and it would go against the standards of APOR, which are the standards he used to conduct the survey with a result of only 18 participants on the survey. So I think clearly uh, having heard those responses, the court can't consider this survey as it relates to finding potential uh, jurors in Fremont County. So the court is going to uh, sustain that motion offered by Mr. Wood and the survey exhibit 10, although previously admitted, will not be considered in the court's determination on the issue. And judge, in response to the court, if I may, if you look at my change of venue motion, I am asking to move from Fremont County, but I specifically specifically in my motion, address the issue as it relates to the seventh judicial district that includes Madison, Jefferson, and Bonneville counties. My motion for change of venue specifically says that this hearing and this trial or this trial could not be effectively uh, held in the seventh judicial district. So I, I would ask the court to strongly reconsider its position as uh, although this is Fremont County, I think the court is, 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 is splitting hairs by saying, yes, Fremont County, and, uh, but uh, frankly, uh, I was also moving for an, the entire move, move from the seventh judicial district. And under the rule, I'm permitted to seek a change from a particular judicial district. So at that point, based on how I've pled this in my pleadings, I think it is relevant. You know, I would just very quickly respond. Uh... This poll did not include all of the 7th Judicial District. It left out Bingham County, uh, which is a fairly large county, uh, and a couple other smaller counties. So the poll would still not be relevant. 
Well, Judge, you know, I don't have to go over every entire county to do this. What I do do is I take the largest county within the seventh judicial district, who happens to be Bonneville. I take the two counties that happen to be where a significant number of these allegations arise, and I take the adjoining Jefferson County. So when I pled this, I included the seventh judicial district in my pleadings, and under the rule for a change of venue, a transfer, a trial, I am allowed to select and plead that this particular judicial district is not appropriate. So I, uh, I, I renew my, my motion, Judge, and ask the court to reconsider and allow this exhibit to be admitted. All right, well, I've considered, I've considered the arguments on the admissibility of this Exhibit 10. I've also considered the change of venue motion itself and Criminal Rule 21, and still the question before the court today while Rule 21 does contemplate whether transfers should occur within the district or outside of the district, and that's part of a determination, the first question the court has to cross is the threshold before getting there is whether or not we are transferring this trial out of the current location of Fremont County. And so the issue is whether or not we could find a fair and impartial jury in Fremont County. We haven't made a determination yet that it's being transferred within the district. If it were there, uh, potentially this would be admissible, but where we are right now is trial located in Fremont County. The first judicial question I have to get to is whether or not we're gonna go outside of Fremont County and then we'd consider where an appropriate uh, place would be, a different county. And so uh, based on consideration of all that still, with those responses we have and only 18 people polled within Fremont County, uh, the court's not going to change the decision I've made that Exhibit 10 will not be admitted or considered for purposes of this motion today. So that'll be my and, ruling, counsel. And Judge, I guess in my position, simply, if the court is excluding the report for purposes of Fremont County, at such time, if the court decides that Fremont County is not appropriate and it is looking at whether or not the 7th Judicial District is relevant, at that point, this report does become relevant at that point. Well, that is a... Potential, Mr. Pryor, because under Criminal Rule 21C, under Parts 1 and 2, there may be a determination made as to whether it should stay within the 7th District or without, and I would reconsider the ruling if we were looking at potentially moving within the district. So for purposes of where we're at today, I'm not considering it, but uh, your point's well taken there. All right, and Judge, so at this point, I would reserve my ability to uh, seek a, a motion from the court asking that the court apply Mr. Bryant's report in the event the court moves this case from Fremont County, and it has to, at that point, under the rule, consider an appropriate judicial district. All right, I'll just take that request under advisement at this thank time, you. depending on where we end up. So, And I have nothing else for Mr. Bryant, Judge. Okay, thank you, Mr. Bryant. Then that'll conclude your testimony this morning. Thank you. I'm I, I'm free to leave the the Zoom meeting. You are. You can log off. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. All right. Do you have another witness to call, Mr. Pryor? I, I don't have witnesses, Judge. But this may be an opportune time to uh, to have a meeting uh, to discuss uh, my notebook and how I would present the uh, remaining exhibits in a way that. Uh, uh, complies with the court's admonishment about uh, unnecessary advertising. So I would like to have a brief discussion about how I intend to proceed with the remaining documents and then go forward from there if, if the court would accommodate that request. All right. I think that uh, that's a reasonable request. I think the time's good for that as well. 
You know, I would ask though if we could take a, a ten, brief five to ten minute break before that. Okay, so here's what we'll do: we'll take a uh, break until ten thirty, uh, at which time I'll ask the clerk to please set up a breakout room where I'll meet privately with counsel. I will have the court reporter take a record of the proceedings of the breakout room, and we'll discuss uh, potential exhibits to be admitted in furtherance of the motion. So we'll be in recess for ten minutes, and then we'll uh, reconvene in the breakout room. Thank you. Okay, well, nothing like um, prior calling a witness uh, for himself that truly becomes a prosecution witness very quickly. Um, that poor guy is like, I want the hell out of here. Can I uh, leave uh, the, uh, the Zoom meeting, please? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like forever. And I'm sure he was thinking as Briar's like, well, but I'm reserving the right to call this again. And he, and the poor Brian's like, oh, hell no, you're not. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> wow. What yeah, somebody in the chat said, welcome to big boy court, Pryor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. What the hell would have made Pryor think that any of that was a good study or was worth bringing to court? 18 people oh. in a county of 13,000? Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> I can't even. I'm dying. Yeah, Cranky <laughs> says Bryant is taking a leave of absence. I think he is. I probably would if I were him as well. But wow. Come on, man. How bad do you think that Pryor is at Means right now? Uh, yeah. Because Means set that whole shit show up. He had to have some control of it. Did you catch how he made them change Lori's name to Daybell and not Vallow? Yeah. <laughs> no, he wanted Vallow in there. Oh, Vallow Daybell. He, he wanted to add Vallow in. But yeah, that's always been, you know, that's been so contentious all along about whether or not you can call her Vallow. Yeah. Um, but uh, holy cow. <laughs> Um, and that poor, you know, before you know it, he's like just agreeing with Wood right and left. That was fantastic. Oh, right. And the poll was voluntary. They sent out invitations to do the poll in the first place. Here's what I don't understand about that. They called three people in my family. None yeah. of us accepted an invitation to do that. Right. I there's something wrong with that methodology because no no one in my family agreed to any kind of a they, they these were just cold calls. Well, th right, they did cold calls but they also did emails. Right. Okay. So some people got emails. That yeah. was just crazy. <laughs> um <laughs> But see, this is the second this is what's really crazy about it, you guys. Yeah. This is the second company the first company was already excluded because uh, the way they did it was so stupid. And again, this was something mean set up. There was a lady wandering around Fremont County, around St. Anthony, with a clipboard, just wandering up to people and asking them a pile of questions about the Daybell case. Yeah. And that was the first one. And the uh, prosecutor came back and said, they don't have the uh, qualifications to do a poll of this nature and the right. judge agreed and they yeah. withdrew that and then went and found Ironwood to, uh, you know, <laughs> go for round two. 
But you know, the thing is, this is all about being cheap, I think. Yes. Um, there are companies that do jury, you know, jury pool polling. Mm-hmm. They're much more expensive. So these guys went with ironwood that's more political because mm-hmm. it was cheaper. I'll cheaper. bet you it was cheaper. Or in the first place, lady with clipboard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Asking Which a, was... a list of questions that no doubt Mr. Means wrote himself. Yes. Yes. And the idea that Means had, um, you know, the ability to change the questions and the fact that this came from means at all and is being used in chad's mm-hmm. hearings like i don't know i like, guess I think because the judge has given a lot of uh a lot of a leeway. lot of leeway but he just there he had no choice in this one yeah yeah william no. that happened in so that happened last like december yeah, it was quite a long time ago. And then this, the polling question right now happened in around uh, February. Yeah, yeah, because of course your family got calls, of course. That's just so funny. <laughs> I probably did too, because I don't answer numbers <laughs> I don't recognize. And so I probably got it and just didn't answer it. Wow. Well, here's what I got the call and did not answer it uh, because I was working. My son got the call, and when they asked him if he wanted to take a political or a poll about crime in his area, he said no one hung up because he was working. And we had had this conversation around the dinner table, and I was like, damn it, Micah, that was probably on the Daybell Vallow poll. If you get a question, you know, a call, you should answer it. And then I compared the phone number that he got to the one I got and realized that I had the call too. And I'm not kidding, within two minutes, my daughter's phone rang, and she was like, no shit. It's this phone number. So <laughs> she put her phone on speaker and I turned on my camera and we recorded it. Um, we'll find it for you guys. It's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, except we, for that, you know, she she messed with them. She didn't give real answers either. But we uh we shared it in a in an update. Mm-hmm. So it's it's somewhere. Well, yeah, we'll have to pull it up again. But yeah. Very interesting. Um but I think this illustrates again that Idaho attorneys are not used to doing cases like this. This is very unusual, particularly for this area. Um, they, they just don't know what the hell they're doing. And it's pretty clear that they don't. They keep making these big mistakes. And uh, I'm, I'm still amazed that Pryor is working this alone for Chad. Mm-hmm. Because here, Lori has Jim Archibald, who is a, you know, death penalty certified attorney. Yeah. And <laughs> Chad's got this dude, man. Mm-hmm. I just. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, also, my goodness. Can we just uh, take a moment to appreciate the time when Pryor called Mr. Wood, Mr. Means? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> That is like the ultimate insult in this case. And really honestly, wondered. I'm sorry Means wasn't here today because I really do miss his courtroom antics. <laughs> this would have been an even bigger shit show had uh, he been had he been in there. Well, and the judge, we're going to get this accomplished in a day and a half. Uh, we're an hour and a half in and have accomplished zero things at this point. Besides yeah. just getting rid of the, the fluff anyway. Well, oh my this gosh. was his only, so this was Pryor's only 
witness. So likely what he has now, he said he has slides and they probably had to do with the media coverage in the area that probably that information they got from East Idaho News mm -hmm. about the media coverage in this area regarding this case. Mm -hmm. And we don't get to see those things, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So I don't know exactly how they're going to do this. I do appreciate that the judge recognized that this should be um, a public hearing. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Come on, Wood, for God's sake. Yeah. Red Squirrel says calling Wood means Woods means we needs to go on the bingo card. Yes, it does <laughs> because that was that was too much for me. Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, and you know, I, I think we definitely saw Wood get ruffled. He doesn't usually get ruffled, but no. he was pissed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can see that he has had enough enough, you know. Because mm. earlier in this case, a year ago, he was as cool as a cucumber nothing yeah. ever faced him. He was just as stoic and stone-faced and just, and now he's like, okay, God damn it. You know, yeah. <laughs> had enough of this enough. bullshit. Well, <laughs> especially because they've already had a lot of arguments over this polling and they got the first one yes. thrown out. And, you know, there's just this stuff going on that he's like, oh, sorry. I just unshared the, just a second. I just clicked something. Um, but, you know, he feels like, I think he feels like he's done this how mm -hmm. many times already. Yeah. And, and he's right. He has. We, we had this argument many times and still, still prior showed up to court with it. That's what just cracks me up. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Is that <laughs> prior would show up to court with this. Yeah, Brown, you're right. Wood's patience is running out. It yeah. is. Well, um, so is Pryor's uh, defense tactics. Mm -hmm. The fact that they hadn't done something better than this in this amount of time. Right. Uh, he likes to constantly go, Judge, I asked for this months ago. Months ago, I did this and that. Yeah. Well, God, Pryor, you would think that then months ago, you would have been more prepared than this. Yes. That you would have recognized what a ridiculous poll this is with a sample size of 18 people. And you can't even break out Fremont County. So you don't even know how many of the people in in Fremont County said guilty. They didn't yeah. separate out the two defendants. I mean, they, they just screwed it up in so many ways. Mm -hmm. I would love to know how much money was spent on that. Yeah. Not, not enough is what I'm going to say. Or entirely too much. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the and the poor witness was like, we just did what they asked us to do, and you know, and it's it's dawning on him. You see it on his face. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh shit, <laughs> they've mm -hmm. asked us to do the wrong damn thing. This is this is so screwed up. Yep. Yeah. A and sample size of eighteen people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Poor Mr. Bryant is like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, eighteen is a jury plus six. Yeah, right. No, the yeah. taxpayers didn't pay for these surveys. Surveys the uh, prosecution did. Yeah, the prosecution did. Yeah, I hope they got paid up front too, Lydia, because it's not yeah. their fault. Well, it's the prosecution their... to to make that clear, the prosecution did before uh, Lori was deemed indigent. So, you know, it's. Yeah. 
likely the taxpayers didn't pay anything for this, but no, yeah. no. Yeah. This was, ha this happened before that. Well, but, but you can see that um, Pryor and Chad, they didn't pay for any polling at all. So that's what, that's the other part of this that kills me is that Pryor showed up to court with the poll that was done on behalf of the other defendants. Mm -hmm. They well, paid a dollar they per interviewee. <laughs> Maybe they did. <laughs> a dollar oh, per boy. interviewee. Oh, God. Well, when uh, when Wood asked Bryant that question about, uh, you know, was this, were you hired on behalf of, of uh, Lori? He looked so confused. I, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I think, uh, well, I think it was on both of their behalf. He didn't even know. He didn't even know. Well, I think it would depend entirely on who paid him. Who paid for that poll. All right. But he worked with Means, which says Means paid for that poll. Mm -hmm. Has Chad been offered a deal? Not that we are aware of. But we might not know. But we may not know. I mean, there's, there's always the possibility. There's pretrial conferences supposed to be in January but we don't yeah. know what's going to happen because with COVID of course Idaho is absolutely exploding with COVID right now we're like yeah. top of you know number one in the country again mm -hmm. yay us uh so we don't know when jury trials will actually be able to be held again well and they can't move forward without Lori so no they can't well yeah. Chad could take a deal without Lori well yes he could yeah but yeah the it wouldn't that but that's right the trial Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He showed up to court with a with a survey done on behalf of the other defendant. It was it was mm -hmm. ordered by Mark Means. Yep. So, uh, so what do you want to bet? Means was uh sitting in his office watching court today, uh <laughs> and firing off email after email or text after text to prior. You should say this, ask them that. Well, that's not, well, I didn't, you know, I could right. you imagine how pissed he is right now. Oh, I bet he's pissed. Yes, that's right. William, you read on Justin Lummy is hard on behalf of Lori. He was, yeah. he was hired by Mark Means, who is Lori's attorney. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to change venues. Uh, I don't know if Utah has the death penalty, but this case can't know. be, it can't be transferred to Utah because no. it, it, it's an Idaho case. It has to stay in the state. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they're trying to change venue. They're trying to agree or disagree at this point that venue needs to be changed. So far, the evidence for that has been real bad. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this is this all falls on prior. He has to prove that a change of venue is necessary for Chad to get a fair trial. So, so far, <laughs> strike one. Yeah, well, and, you know, I thought it was an interesting point the uh, prosecutor made when uh, when Pryor argued that, uh, and maybe it was the judge that said that, uh, oh, it was Pryor that said, we don't have any idea how much it would cost to sequester jurors for what could be like a, a two-month trial, mm -hmm. what it would cost to do that. And I kind of love that the judge, or the uh the prosecutor said, Judge, we'll probably have to sequester them anyway. Right. And I thought, no shit. No shit. It's... That that's true and a very good point. But you know, just to reiterate what we have uh 
discussed in the last week here is that we have it on good authority that other counties, particularly Ada, where a lot of people, you know, conjectured, we did, that this case might be moved to, mm -hmm. uh, says they're not taking it. Right. Says they will not take it because of the exorbitant expense. Right. And because Fremont County is a small county, they don't have a lot of money and um, they're not going to be able to pay another county to do it. Uh -huh. Honestly, what I think is going to happen, because Kara asked what we think, I think a jury will be bust in, sequestered uh -huh. and bust in from somewhere else uh -huh. with a larger jury pool uh -huh. and that the and that the hearing that the actual trial will occur in Fremont County uh -huh. if there is a trial. Uh -huh. Because I still lean toward <clears throat> the very good likelihood that we're going to go through all of this and they'll take pleas. Uh -huh. Because they're facing the death penalty. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so far, defense hasn't been super successful. So, mm -hmm. Now, if I personally was going to choose a jury pool in Idaho, I wouldn't go to Ada County. I would go northern. Yep. I would go clear up to Coeur d'Alene. I would go to one of the counties up there that is as backwoods as humanly possible. Yep. And that's where I would pick some, that's where I would pull my jurors from. Now, imagine though, as a juror, you get called to this jury and you get brought to the other side of the state and sequestered for two months. Yeah. Now that sounds like deal. it would suck, but come on, man. The book deals, the interviews. <laughs> right. The that's the gonna fact. change your life. Yeah. I mean, I know that's a horrible uh, <laughs> attitude to have about it, except for that. I mean, I wouldn't want to be sequestered for two months, would you? No. But the opportunity to serve on this jury, wow. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, do we have enough hotels and takeout? Not in St. Anthony in Fremont County. No. They don't, but probably they would probably put them up in Rexburg mm -hmm. in Madison County, which yeah. is only I think 15 minutes away. I can only think of one hotel in uh, St. Anthony. But see, Fremont yeah. County is a huge county. Yeah. With a small amount of people, yeah. <clears throat> Fremont County goes all the way to the state line. It goes all the way to, almost to Yellowstone. Right. And so up in that area, there are quite a few hotels. Yes, but there are. That would be bringing people back and forth over the uh, the pass every day, which or, or, or you know, the Ashton Hill, which I, I wouldn't seem prudent. It would seem to me that they just put them in Madison County and Rexburg. I would think so, because Rexburg's Rexburg definitely has the accommodations to do it. See, Rexburg has a college. They have uh, Brigham Young University, Idaho. And <clears throat> pardon me, because of the college, we have a fair amount of hotels and accommodations like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's where Chad's tent cities come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's a thought. That is a thought. And and won't the state cover the cost of the trial? As we understand it, it is on the county to do that. Although I suspect they're going to have to get some help. Oh, uh, yeah. Because yeah. I just, I don't know how Fremont County is going to pay for this. Maybe a slew of trailers for them, right? Right, right. Yeah, you know, if we, well, there if we are some in Rexburg. trailer parks in St. Anthony. <laughs> you could put them up in there. But then you'd have more uh, crimes How long to try. would be the road travel from near Yellowstone to the courthouse? Uh, Ooh, 45 minutes to an hour? Yeah, Maybe a little 45 more. minutes probably. Yeah. Yeah. If, if we're talking uh, good weather. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, if this is in the winter and there's snow, you don't want to be doing that because the Ashton Hill is pretty treacherous. I that they, they, they would go Amazing. south. They would go Rexburg. I'm sure they would. Yeah. It's true. Rexburg's supposed to be a big tent city, which I'm so confused about. Can't I just live in my house? I <laughs> right. Me. I'm I'm gonna choose my house. Yeah. Right. Tents for the Lord? I don't know. I don't, get it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh <laughs> Are there lots of LDS in the other parts of Idaho? Um, not as many. We're definitely in the most concentrated area, but there are definitely LDS everywhere in the state of Idaho. But mm -hmm. northern Idaho is the least LDS. Mm -hmm. Kathleen, I think, is a good point. She says she thinks that uh, Chad's self-importance will get in his way and truly thinks he can get away with this. I mean, he has shown nothing but arrogance. That is for sure. He has. However, in court today, he looks like absolute shit. And so oh, I think man. maybe this is starting to get to him. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cool. It is scary that it falls to the counties when you live in a rural place that can't afford it. Cranky says, I live in a rural one in the Midwest. They could never afford this. Right. That's that's what people are saying about Fremont as well. I'm sure the state's going to have to step in in some way. Mm -hmm. Kara, that's a damn good question. And on both sides of the coin, let's argue this. Right. She said, I'm curious if they do or don't want LDS jurors. Uh, on one hand, Mormons tend to pack together. They tend yes. to uh, use the fact that uh, whether you are LDS or not as a way to decide whether you're a trustworthy person or not, or a person they want to do business with or not. Right. So on that hand, yeah, but... No, because Chad has made the church look bad. Yeah, he has uh, by all uh, the the you know the the local gossip, of course, is that he has been uh, excommunicated, mm -hmm. which I'm sure he has. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that, uh, and so he's on the out now. And see, a yes. lot of times with LDS people, whether they mean to or not, and I'm sure this goes for other religions too. I'm not bashing, but uh, mm -hmm. if if you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. You know, and he's out. So if I were the defense, I would not want LDS people on my jury because I think that they are pissed at him for the bad press and for, mm -hmm. you know, the things that he's done. And they, um, he tried to tell everybody he was the prophet now. Right. You know, I mean, that's like the biggest bit of blasphemy you could possibly. Oh, hold. yeah. I mean, that makes him the biggest apostate ever. Bigger than me for being gay. So, you know. Uh, yeah. And that's pretty serious. Let me tell you, I'm you right up there with eclipsed. the murderers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a very valid point. Um, it's going to be difficult to avoid having any Mormons on the on the uh, jury. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they can actually ask them their religion. I don't know. Can they? I don't think so. I don't know what questions are. I'm not sure. I guess we'll have to look into that. Let's look into that and see what state law allows for. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's going to be uh, very interesting to see what they do with the jury. You know, mm -hmm. I would think also they probably I don't know. I think women are going to have more of a problem with this. Yeah. Just as mothers, not saying that dads don't have trouble with m murdering children, but I think that women on the jury are going to really struggle with this. Oh, particularly with Lori. Like, yeah. you killed your yes. own kids, dude. You killed yeah. your own kids. 
Yeah. Yep. Uh, since religion is central to this case, I imagine they will be asking if legally they can. I would absolutely right. agree with that. I got to look at that. I got to look that up. But yeah, that that's a very interesting question about what kind of jury pool will the defense be looking for? I don't know because I just don't. Who's who's going to be a sympathizer for these people? Yeah, that's tough. Or is yeah. it simply just people who are willing to be entirely impartial that don't know anything about this case? Yeah. 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 Uh, my husband uh, sent me a message. <laughs> He's chiming in in the distance while he's working. Uh, hmm. He pointed out, however, that <clears throat> Fremont is a rich county. It is uh, per capita because of because that spot between Ashton and Yellowstone is called Island Park. There's yeah. no island there. There's actually no park there, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Island Park, and we don't know why, but it is. Mm-hmm. And Island Park is absolutely packed with cabins uh yeah it's a property a very resorty area a very rich area and the taxes are higher in fremont county in general anyway and so because of that fremont actually has more money than you would think they are not a dirt poor county there's just not a lot of people in fremont county right and it's still i mean we're looking at a million dollar trial here yeah Hard to be unbiased for anyone, I think. For me, it would be the religion part. That is my bias, I admit it. Okay. I hear you. It, me too, Cranky. Uh, the dead kids are a big bias for me as well. Oh, there is that. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, because as a juror, of course, your job is to be unbiased and and to listen you know not prejudge anything but listen to everything and you know does the prosecution make its case Mm -hmm. because the the onus is on the prosecution to prove guilt it is not on the defendant to prove innocence it's the opposite Mm -hmm. so you know i don't know knowing everything that we know about this case that's tough to do and i I see yeah. where Pryor's argument is coming from. He's just doing a bad job of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he, uh, I think he just planned on using that poll as if uh, it makes me wonder how much he actually even looked at it, you know, or if he just took means word for it, or he just, it's just what he had. So he had to go with it. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know why he wouldn't have done something better. Or if he just truly didn't know. William says this Supreme Court has yet to rule on whether striking a juror based on religious affiliation triggers a special treatment so far reserved for race and sex. Okay. See, that's what I thought is that that's contest. That's a contested issue. Yeah. Because that would be discrimination. Yeah. This means that generally the practice of religious discrimination requires a government actor to provide a compelling justification. Yeah. Exactly, William. So I, I it's not an easy thing to strike a juror for religious affiliation. Also, Red Girl says uh, her brother-in-law is a lawyer. She's asking to see if he's available at the moment about that particular question. But see, that's what I thought is that this is going to be a a protected classes issue. 
you can't discriminate on you know against someone based on these things and religion is you know one of those so we'll see because it is so central to this case honestly yes it is and, and that is part of the issue for sure <clears throat> interesting yes kira they are taking a long time it's because they took a recess then they were doing a um, basically a behind closed doors discussion about how Pryor is going to present his evidence. Yes. <laughs> they need to ask jurors if they have tents or if they are prophets. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, you know, I mean, the other thing is, is that you can tell a Mormon by not asking them. I mean, if you know how to <laughs> see their garment lines, you can tell. If they yeah. are a, a Mormon wearing garments, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. I do hope they end the Lori malingering ASAP. I do think she is partly malingering. She is crazy, but she is competent. Equals she does know what a judge and prosecutor is and why she is where she is. Yeah. Cranky says they should ask jurors how light or dark they are. I, right. I, what is I, their rating? Said that I felt like Chad looked like he was like 3.78 dark today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He definitely did. Uh, <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall at Lori in her cell alone when she gets restorative therapies. Right? That's the reality. If she has lost her grasp on reality and can't face what she has done, and that has caused a psychotic break, which is possible, is it possible for her to come back from that? People can break psychologically permanently. It is a possible thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Can they check them against the AVAL website? Yes, there you go. There's there's a thought. And the Preparing a People website. There is no trial date yet, no, because Lori is still in a psychiatric hospital. They can't set a trial date until... Well, for several reasons, COVID. Also, there is a motion out there to sever these trials. And also because she's still in the hospital. Yeah. Interesting (laughs) news coming out of Rexburg, by the way. Uh, Speaking of the, uh, the LDS church, they're building a second temple here. Yes. Yes, they are. And it sounds like also another uh, missionary training center. So anyway, yeah. Rexburg's about to uh, grow again uh, religiously. Um, mm. Help. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes, help. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Red Squirrel, we think prior is so self-important this irrelevant survey would fly. But Chad believed out of a world population of nearly 8 million, it's billion, Uh, God chose him for a leadership role. Yes, that is very true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Betcha. Yeah. So. (laughs) So we'll see how this next um, round of evidence goes. So we're quite sure it's going to be um, demographic information about this. the listenership and viewership of East Idaho news and Mm -hmm. how far their information and coverage of this case has traveled. Yeah. Which we already know it's international because some of you are international right here in our chat. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Rhombohedral. The LDS church expects more people to come to Rexburg. They got that info from Tent City Chad. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's way funny. You guys are the best. Yeah, you are. That That is hilarious. So, you know, other than that, I don't know what else Pryor would have. What do you think? Besides the information he's gotten from East Idaho News, what else would he have that Just would show precedent? Fremont County. Just precedent, I think, trying to uh true <clears throat> order or you know, argue precedent from other cases. Yeah. But that could be that's about all I think he could have, but Cranky says he has nothing. Right. He he doesn't. He yeah. the, the due diligence hasn't been done. It could have been. I mean, do I think he can really get a fair trial in Fremont County? No, I do not. I don't think anyone thinks that. But I also think that most people feel like thanks to uh, the Lifetime movie, as well as just lots of coverage, you know, from people, well, like us, <laughs> and East Idaho News and the whole rest of the country. Right. You, there's no one here. You're going to be hard pressed to find anyone who's never heard of this case. That's not going right. to be possible. No. You're going to be more likely to try to find people who you believe can be fair and balanced. Right. I mean, that's, right. that's it. Right. Well, it looks like things are just uh, getting rolling back again. <laughs> I wonder if it's going to be just long enough to go to lunch, but we'll stick with it. So here we are, uh, waiting for things to get rolling. Uh, Mr. Pryor. We're missing Mr. Pryor. What's up, John? Is this some kind of gamesmanship? Grandstanding? What's going on, man? hard to know. But we'll just uh, chill out here until things get going. <laughs> the judge's face cracks me up. Is he sending an email? Prior, where are you? We're back in this room now. But I hope you guys had a good break. I hope you, uh, you know, had a chance to eat or drink something great and that you're ready to get back to the bingo board. I was going to pull up the bingo card and see if we could uh, identify which bingos, you know, what we've already gotten. 
So actually, yes, quite honestly, I think. Judge, yes. Astute, I believe so. Inconvenience, yes. Grandstanding, did he say grandstanding today? I know he said gamesmanship. Ms. Vallow, yes. Ridiculous, uh-huh. Red face, without a doubt. The media, I think so. Gamesmanship, for sure. Unfair. Oh, yeah, we heard that about 100 times. Voluminous. We said it. So you get the center square. Your honor. We heard that one. Resting toad face. Yes, we have, have resting toad face from Pryor and resting zombie face from Chad today. Uh, Madam Clerk, do you have a way to message Mr. Pryor about exiting the breakout room? I do, Your Honor, and I can just close the room and it'll stop in about a minute, so. Okay, why don't you do that? Gosh, okay. Sounds like maybe prior to having a hard time finding the right place. Oh, well, well, well. All right, here we go. I'm going to get out of the way. Okay, we'll be back on the record here. We took up some evidentiary issues uh, outside of the presence of the live recording here uh, due to the potentially inflammatory nature of the proposed exhibits that were being offered. Court went through a uh, motion regarding admission of certain exhibits and made a ruling on that. The, I will note on the record that we did have the court reporter there for those proceedings and there will be a record of those proceedings. Uh, which were taken out uh, not in the presence of the live recording. Uh, with that then, the ruling the court made was as it relates to proposed exhibits that have been offered by the defense in support of the motion. Those are contained in a electronic folder that has 10 subfolders. The court admitted subfolders one through eight with the exception of a photograph in subfolder three that was not admitted uh, on the other subfolders. Those haven't been proffered yet on number 10. That previously was the survey, uh, the insight survey that the court ruled was inadmissible. So before the court then, which has been admitted are the exhibits contained in those subfolders one through eight with the exceptions I just mentioned. And the court made that ruling based on a self-authenticating uh, analysis under Rule 902, subsection 6, and Idaho Rule of Evidence 101, F3. Also, considering uh, case law, the court considered, including the Chianti versus City of Palo Alto case, 790F Supplement 1077. And in conjunction with the Idaho rules, determined self-authentication for those published items. So... Those items will be uh, considered by the court at this time as admitted. And again, any reference to those, if they're inflammatory in nature, Mr. Pryor, I'd uh, require you to just refer to those in generalized terms and I'll locate them on those drives. So that was the ruling on our evidentiary issue. Uh, with that in mind then, uh, Mr. Pryor, this is still your motion and your time to argue the motion. Do you have another witness you're going to call? Judge, I have no further witnesses in light of the court's ruling admitting those eight folders. 
with the uh, information that's contained within them. At this point, what I have left to do is make argument. So if the court wants to allow Mr. Wood to call his witnesses, uh, then at the conclusion, if the court wants to proceed that way, I'll make my argument and um, obviously Mr. Wood's argument and my rebuttal and we could wrap this hearing up if that's the way the court wants to proceed. Mr. Wood, do you have witnesses you intend to call an objection? Your Honor, we do have two witnesses. Uh, my suggestion would be uh, that we, where it's noon, that we break for lunch um, and reconvene whenever the court says we should, at which point our witnesses are ready and uh, ready to go, but I do think now would be a good time to break for lunch. Okay, uh, I think that's a fair request at this point in the hearing and the proceedings. So we will break for lunch from 12 to one. And I'd ask counsel to be uh, ready to start up again at one o'clock and we'll have uh, your first witness then Mr. Wood. Thank you. Thank you, we'll be in recess then for an hour. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, that's <laughs> exactly what I thought was gonna happen. So we are gonna break for lunch. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and end this broadcast. We'll come back at uh, one o'clock mountain time with a new broadcast. That way, uh, there's not so much to wade through. This has already been three hours long. So we'll go ahead and drop this one and come back in an hour uh, for round two. Looks like a bunch of evidentiary stuff that, you know, we are, as a public, apparently too uh, not special enough to hear. I don't know. Yep. Maybe Chad will get a Subway sandwich or something fancy today since his lawyer's there. Ooh, this is lucky day. <laughs> All righty, guys. I'm going to end this here and we'll be back in an hour. This has been yet another production of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. everybody welcome back to true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters i'm christy brower here with my sister co-host and partner in crime katie weaver we are back from the lunch break here on the live stream of the change of venue hearing for chad Isabel. yeah and we are just waiting for court to come back online yep sorry i missed the very end of the last live stream i was blissfully sitting in my kitchen and my phone was not alerting me that we were back to live. So I have no idea what was going on. Yep. You were a little busy. I, not really. I had some lunch. I don't know. I just, I'm not sure what happened. I had my phone on. I had the live stream up on my phone so that I would know when court came back up and yeah, it didn't. And look what you did. Look what you did, you little jerk. I know. Well, thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for saving my bacon there. Well, it's okay. I was a little busy on the break uh, finding that clip from Ironwood Insights. Oh, yes. And so I posted it. I'm going to put a link here, too. But you guys can just find it over on our YouTube channel, too, at True Crime Paranormal. Uh, and we'll put it on our uh, podcast as well. But if you are interested in finding it, it is called... Ironwood survey of Southeast Idaho residents. And you can listen to it. It's three minutes wrong, wrong, long. 
<laughs> three minutes wrong. It's very three wrong. Three minutes wrong. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just, uh, I was a little preoccupied because I was looking at some super big mad uh, comments we've got <laughs> on the uh, the Cassidy uh, rainwater case. Oh, we have, huh? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. apparently some of Tim's friends are coming out to uh, oh, send no, him. Whatever. Since they've known Tim for a long time, there's no way in hell he had something to do with this, even though he's already admitted to it. Uh, yeah, he admitted to it to the police and is in jail. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Why slander more of their names? He told the police he helped restrain her. Yeah. He said it himself. How's that slander? Oh. And court is returning. Well, well look, look how timely. All right, I think we've got everyone here, Madam Reporter. Are you ready? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, we'll go back on the record after the lunch break on this matter. This is the time for a change of venue motion. Uh, KCR 22211623, State versus Chad Guy Daybell. Council's present and appearing at the time of the lunch break. We concluded with uh, Mr. Pryor's presentation of evidence. And at this point, Mr. Wood, I understood the state had witnesses to call. Is that correct? Yes, Your Honor. I'm not seeing them in this room. I don't know if they've been accepted yet. Okay, who's your first witness are you intending to call? Len Humphreys. All right, let's see if he's there. It's like he's having an issue getting connected. Do you know where he's appearing from, Mr. Wood? I believe his office, but I'm not sure, Your Honor. Okay. I just wondered if he was there. He's, he's, um,
Oh, there he is. Uh, good afternoon, Sheriff Humphreys. Can you hear me okay? Yes, Judge, I can. Okay, thank you. I wanted to make sure you were properly connected. So, uh, Mr. Wood, you may go ahead and call your first witness then. And the state calls Sheriff Lynn Humphreys. All right, Mr. Humphreys, if you or Sheriff Humphreys, if you'd please raise your right hand, I'll have the clerk administer the oath. We solemnly swear or affirm the testimony you will give in the pending cause will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. I do. Thank you. You can lower your hand and counsel, you can inquire. Thank you. Can you state your name for the record? My name is Len Humphreys. Can you spell your last name for the record? H-U-M-P-H-R-I-E-S. All right, and you said sheriff. Uh, can you give us a little more background on that? I am the Fremont County Sheriff. Uh, this is my 13th year as sheriff here in Fremont County. Okay. Um, so 13 years as sheriff in Fremont County. How long have you been involved in law enforcement? Um, went to work here full-time in 1988. Okay. Um, so I, today, what I, I need to ask you about, Sheriff, uh, I want to talk about some of your uh, responsibilities as it relates to the district court. Um, are you responsible for any actions connected to the district court proceedings and jury trials in your role as sheriff? Yes, we're responsible for the security of the courts. Um, we provide the bailiff services, uh, security for the courthouse. Uh, we run the uh, entries where people go through the magnetometers to make sure that there's no weapons. Um, <clears throat> we're responsible for making sure that defendants are transported to and from court in a safe manner. Uh, we are also responsible for making sure the juries are safe um, and witnesses that uh, they are taken care of. Uh, we provide all of those services through the sheriff's office. And Judge, in, 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 in objection to where we may be going, I am concerned that the testimony is going to be focusing more on Mr. Wood's motion to impanel a jury uh, than it is to um, address any concerns he may have about the change of venue. So uh, I guess in the form of an objection, I'm deeply concerned that we're addressing the other issue and not the issue of how this uh, affects the change of venue. Well, there's been no question relating to that at this point. So that's premature, but I'll keep that in mind. Uh, thank you. And Your Honor, I was not haven't filed a motion to impanel a jury. Um, uh, so Sheriff Humphreys, uh, thank you for, for going over that. Are you also, you said you're responsible for the defendant's security. Are you responsible for housing the defendants? Yes, we are. Okay. And are you familiar with the case of, uh, the cases of Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow? Yes, I am. Um, and are those defendants under your care and custody? Uh, Chad Daybell in my jail here in Fremont County. Lori is in the Madison County Jail who contracts with us to house our female inmates. Okay, thank you. Um, 
Now, the responsibility to cover court proceedings on crimes occurring in Madison County, does that responsibility exist wherever the case itself goes to trial? I'm not sure I understand your question. Okay, I'll, I'll rephrase it. I, I think I said Madison County, I meant Fremont County. So I apologize. Uh, if a case is a Fremont County case and a change of venue takes place and if that a case is heard elsewhere, do you still maintain the responsibility, the same responsibilities that you would maintain as if, if it were in Fremont County? I believe that is the case, either by pro providing the staff to take care of it or contracting with the host county, wherever that may be. Okay. Um, now, have you had, do you have a detective's division? I'm sorry, once more? Does the Fremont County Sheriff's Office have a detective's division? Yes, I have three. Okay. And are you aware if they've been involved in the case involving Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow? Yes, they have been involved. Okay. Um, uh, I want to talk to you about kind of the uh, monetary and manpower costs that arise uh, if they have to travel outside of Fremont County. Judge, um, I can object at this point. We're going into the motion of sequestering a jury and the costs that are associated with that. Mr. Wood can shake his head all he wants, but this is a backdoor way to address issues that I'm not prepared to address in terms of fixed costs. If the court's gonna allow Mr. Wood to go into this avenue, then I wanna be able to question this witness about all of the costs that are associated with bringing a jury into, from another county or otherwise, because that's exactly what he's trying to do here. Well, it's overruled at this point. Um, we'll see where the testimony goes on the issue. Of course, the matter before the court today is whether or not venue should be changed, meaning transfer the location of the trial. And I find this to be relevant testimony. So that's overruled. You can continue, Mr. Wood. Thank you. Um, if you're, if you're, excuse me, if your detectives are subpoenaed to testify outside of your county, uh, what are some of the costs that are associated with complying with that subpoena? Um, Judge, again, I'm going to renew my objection. This goes to the, uh, Sequestering a jury and cost as it relates to that. All right, Your Honor, I'm not talking about sequestering the jury. Yeah, I'm, I'm overruling the objection for a third time, Mr. Pryor. This is just in question as it relates to possible change of venue. So continue, Mr. Wood. Thank you. Uh, Sheriff, do you recall the question or do, you, do I need to ask it again? As I recall, the question was the cost involved when deputies are subpoenaed outside of the county. Those costs would be travel costs, of course, uh, per diem, for meals, lodging, um, overtime costs, possibly. Um, <clears throat> the uh, additional cost of having the deputies outside of the county means that the calls and work that they would normally be doing, I would have to have covered by other officers or have that work delayed um, until somebody was clear and able to take care of it. Okay, so it's your testimony that uh, if you had multiple detectives subpoenaed outside your county uh, for a, a trial, and especially a lengthy trial, could that cause manpower issues for Fremont County detectives or Fremont 
County Sheriff's Office. Yes, it would. Okay. Um, and is it fair to say that those detectives have more cases than the Vallow Daybell case? Yes, that is fair. Yeah. Now, at, at this time, can you put a dollar amount on how much it would cost Fremont County if the detectives were subpoenaed to testify outside of Fremont County? Excuse me, Your Honor, I'm terrible feedback. I can't. I can't. I'm hearing it too. Yeah, so am I. I'm not sure where that would be coming from. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe Sheriff Humphrey's microphone. I'm not sure. I believe this from Mr. Ward. Yeah, it seems to be happening when I'm speaking part of the time. Okay, uh, hopefully we can figure out where that's coming from. I wasn't doing it before lunch, so I'm not sure why it would be doing it now. Okay. Sheriff, do you need me to ask that question again? Yes, please. Uh, the, the question was, at this time, can you put a dollar amount on how much it will cost Fremont County if your detectives have to travel outside of Fremont County for a, um, if they're subpoenaed to testify at a trial? Um, there's no way that I could estimate what those costs would be without knowing where the trial might be held or uh, how long the trial might last. Okay. Um, we've talked about your uh, your detectives being subpoenaed and uh, what that would do to the detectives department. Um, what are some other uh, responsibilities you may have to provide in another county if a trial is moved? Um, I anticipate that the uh, same costs would apply as far as uh, providing security, providing uh, transportation, providing uh, housing for employees, as well as uh, uh, jurors, uh, things like that. Okay. Um Is it, is it your opinion that trying these cases in Fremont County would be more economical for the Fremont County Sheriff's Department than having it tried in another county? Judge, I'm going to object at this point. There hasn't been sufficient foundation to suggest. In fact, this witness said that without sitting down and knowing exactly where it would go, he can't make an, a determination of what the cost would be. So to allow him to speculate would be completely improper. And at this point, allowing this sheriff to make an assessment without knowing where the county that this thing will be moved to or the additional costs that might be incurred. And again, I'll renew my objection that this actually goes to Mr. Wood's sequestration of a jury in another county. Uh, so if, if Mr. Humphreys wants to come back and talk then, great. But at this point, allowing him to offer an opinion is highly improper. Mr. Wood? Uh, Your Honor, I think that uh, the sheriff, uh, first, we're not talking about sequestering a jury right now. That's completely separate than a change of venue and the cost that might be associated with it. Um, in terms of what he can testify to, uh, we've already established that, yes, he cannot give it an exact dollar amount. However, I do think as the sheriff, he uh, is qualified to testify about the extra expenses of providing these services outside of his own county. 
And Judge, actually, this sheriff mentioned the cost of housing a jury. So he brought it up in his his, his case in chief testimony. So uh, again, there's been no specifics. And, and basically, you're going to elicit an opinion from a guy whose qualifications are as the sheriff without any factual basis for what that opinion is based on. All right. Well, I can consider the testimony for the weight uh, of what it's worth based on the foundation. But I do find that under both uh, Criminal 21 and Title 19, Chapter 18, which discusses removal of an action before trial, that cost can be a consideration. So I do find it's relevant and uh, I'll overrule the objection. So you can answer, Sheriff Humphreys. Could you repeat the question, please? Yes, is it is it your opinion that trying the Chad Daybell case in Fremont County would be more economical for the sheriff's department than having it tried in another county? I do believe it would be more economical to be tried here, yes. And why is that? Uh, we don't have the travel costs involved. We don't have uh, the issues of uh, providing services uh, in a trial outside of the county and uh, also maintaining services that go on while this trial is going to the other services, the other duties that need to uh, be carried out on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. And so just one last question. Do your duties in Fremont County cease if you have to provide those services in another county as well? They do not cease. Those services still need to be provided here. Okay. That's all the state has at this time, Your Honor. All right, thank you, Mr. Pryor, cross-examination. And, and Sheriff Humphreys, um, could you tell me how many uh, employees you have within the Sheriff Department who are uh, deputized? Deputized, uh, I have approximately 21 officers right now. How many of them are involved in the Daybell case? At least three that have been involved in the investigation. So obviously you understand and would agree with me that uh, you obviously don't want those three deputies who are involved in the Daybell case to perform the functions within the department. Would that be fair? In regards to security, in regards to transporting Mr. Daybell or otherwise, right? So the two of those are detectives and the third is my patrol, or uh, yes, patrol lieutenant who was a prior detective and was uh, very involved with this case. All right, so the question, and if you would answer it, is simply that we don't want those three deputies involved in the day-to-day -day process of such as transporting witnesses, obviously uh, guarding Mr. Daybell because the potential for some sort of conflict arises at that point, right? Yes, that's correct. So we're down to approximately 17 or 18 deputies, correct? Yes. And how many deputies does it require you to maintain the jail on a daily basis? I have two deputies on duty at all times in the jail. Okay, and for how, how many in a given shift of 24 hours? That would be four and five with the supervisor. And it requires all 17 to provide appropriate uh, supervision or are you, short, uh, are you short manned within the sheriff's department in the jail? No, we are fully staffed at this time. Okay. So the question then would be, um, obviously, if anybody has any connection or any sort of link to the Daybell case, you obviously want to exclude them as part of the, uh, um, as part of participating in the day-to-day -day activities of dealing with jurors, dealing with witnesses, and that sort of thing, correct? Yes. 
and it would be highly inappropriate for someone who has some sort of involvement, even a minimal amount of involvement, to allow themselves to inject themselves in the case, right? Right. Objection goes beyond the scope. Well, Judge, he's talking. Thank you. So, uh, you know, Sheriff Humphreys, I, I do have a question for you. Um, I'm looking at a June 11th of 2020 uh, posting on your Facebook account. And on the Facebook account, it shows you retweeting uh, pictures of a fence, uh, some posters of JJ and Tylee. Uh, it looks like some pictures of a vigil and there's some- Objection some beyond the scope of the direct. A judge, you know, it goes to whether or not there's involvement by a police officer involved in this case. I have information that this officer is using his private Facebook account to make postings about this case and further that Mr. Wood is giving the thumbs up on these accounts. So, um, objection relevant. I think it's relevant. Okay. The issue, uh, underlying issue on change of venue is potential pretrial publicity or bias or prejudice that's come about to potential jurors because of that. And so as it goes to the underlying issue, I will allow for the line of questioning that Mr. Pryor, I admonish you as previously, if it gets into anything that's inflammatory, I want to take that up outside of the live stream. Okay, and I'm, I'm gonna refrain from getting into terrible specifics about some of the things that you post. But Sheriff Humphreys, quite frankly, how many times on your personal Facebook account did you post information or pictures about Chad Daybell or Lori Vallow? I don't know what you're looking at. Uh, I would well, like... I don't care what I'm looking at. I'm asking you how many times you posted these things on your Facebook account. Objection, how argumentative. Many? That is argumentative, Mr. Pryor. Allow an opportunity to respond before you just jump in like that. So Sheriff Humphreys, if you'd respond uh, and further elicit uh, that the question of when you said you don't know what he's talking about, what do you mean by that? I don't recall having posted or forwarded anything showing that on my Facebook account. Okay, so you have never posted anything on a Facebook account that shows Len Humphreys? Objection, he's in regards and if I could finish, Mr. Wood, in regards to the Daybell and Vallow case, is that your testimony, Sheriff? I don't. Objection asked and answered. Over. Go ahead and answer, Sheriff. I don't recall having posted a forward that you have described. Okay. So, uh, do you have access to your Facebook account and have you deleted anything since? Uh, uh, June 11th of 2020, because I'm looking at a Facebook posting with your name on it, dated June 11th of 2020, and it's your picture, and it's obvious that there are there are images on there that are regarding the Daybell case. Do you just uh, if I could finish, Mr. Wood, are you just that that took place? Your Honor, I'm going to object to the form of the question. I'm going to ask that we go into a breakout room, that Mr. Humphreys be uh, shown this exhibit rather than be browbeaten about something that he doesn't know what Mr. Pryor's talking about. Do you have a copy of the posting you're concerned about, Mr. Pryor? I have a copy of several postings, Judge, and if we want to go into a breakout room and have a shared screen, we can discuss all of them. Well, I think that is appropriate for him to be okay. able to do those versus testifying about them. So 
okay. in order to avoid uh, inflammatory material being broadcast in this proceeding, we still will be on the record. The court will consider sealing portions of the record if necessary. I'll conduct the further inquiry of the witness in regards to these Facebook posts uh, in the breakout session, which will be still on the record with the court reporter. So Madam Clerk, if you sit in the breakout room, we'll do that. Well, yikes. Prior is an ass, but Humphreys did do that. I'm looking at the post on Facebook right now. Okay. It's a reshare. It is it was posted initially by someone named uh, Ashley Sear. It's a picture of a poster that she put on her own fence that says, parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness, to provide for their physical and spiritual needs, and to teach them to love and serve one another. That's from a proclamation to the family, which is a Mormon uh, 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 proclamation. And then there is a picture of writing on their sidewalk. And this is like, th this house is across the street from the courthouse, from the jail. Okay. Does it so, say JJ and Tylee on it? Yeah, on the sidewalk, uh, there's a picture that uh, her kids made of sidewalk chalk that says justice for JJ and Tylee. And uh, then there is the justice for JJ and Tylee poster on her fence. Okay. And then there is a screenshot of the proclamation to the family. And then her comments. Okay. And then one person uh, responded to it. But I was just looking at the likes because he says that Wood liked that post. So I was just searching through the likes. I don't see that. Hmm. Prior indicated there's more than one. Yeah, that's the only one I see unless there's one. What, this was on the 11th. This was two days after the kids were found. Right. And this is the only post regarding JJ and Tylee that I can see on his page. And it's only vaguely regarding JJ and Tylee because Lynn Humphreys is probably a Mormon. Mm -hmm. And that proclamation to the family is a big thing in, in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm having a hard time seeing that this was all that improper. I, you know. Right. But. We'll see. I mean, the way that uh, Pryor was behaving, you would have thought he'd, you know, posted a big poster that said, Chad Daybell did it. <laughs> now, know? there is a post on January 30th, 2020, that shows up on his wall that he didn't post. He's tagged in it. Ah. Uh, from, it looks like, his nephew. Mm, okay. This was, I mean, January 30th, 2020. I mean, this was like six months before the kids were even found. Right. And then another post, again, not he didn't make this. Someone posted on his wall. Uh, just saw Len Humphreys on local Fox News about those missing kids in Rexburg. Made my Sunday morning seeing him. But again, he didn't post that. Well, and it was just him being on the news. Right. About it. Which also he's been on the news about it prior. What you got to say about that? Right. I'm just not seeing how any of this is is anything. Right. Well, you know, Pryor's got to have such a a freak such, out about yeah, everything. Such a dramatic response. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it wasn't smart. Humphrey shouldn't have shared that. Shouldn't share anything on his own personal social media about this case. But it was pretty innocuous. 
Well, right. I it's hard for me to look at that and think that looks any, you know, you know, all that inflammatory. Those were literally things that were going on across the street from the courthouse and the jail. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you were you're right, cranky, cranky, grasping at straws. All of the objecting couldn't even let the sheriff get his words out about the hardship that it would cause. I mean, think about this, you guys. This county has three detectives, three, mm -hmm. and uh, two of them have investigated this case, which mm -hmm. means that if they had to, you know, go somewhere else for a long time to be a part of this trial, that is a big hardship for this county. Yeah. Yeah. Not the first time a sheriff has done that. Right. It isn't the first time a sheriff has done that. No. And I mean, be much more inflammatory if he posted his personal opinions about right. you know Lori and Chad's guilt or innocence like I think he's taking this way to the extreme oh you bet he is however also Sheriff Humphreys why do you have an open Facebook page yeah his he should be locked down on that it, it, yeah it should that's just a that's, yeah, that's just trouble waiting to happen. Or even why even have one if you are the sheriff of a county? Yeah, there's that too. So I was just jumping over to the Fremont County Sheriff Facebook page to see if there's anything there that he's going to jump on. But that's literally the only post. I don't know. I mean, to me, that seems, uh, you know. Yeah. I don't see anything there, but. No, as usual, this is a big drama bullshit situation. Um, the, and the way that Pryor's just come out swinging with him, oh my God. all of those objections, Wood couldn't even get a question out, nor could Sheriff Humphrey, Humphreys even answer it. Well, and you could see that the judge had had an ass full. Yeah, he was sick of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, he's saying the same thing over and over again. Wood did not ask a single question about sequestering a jury. He was asking about how does this affect the county, you know? Yes. Do you have to go provide all of the security if, you know, he's yeah. taken somewhere else to be tried? Okay. Do you, what happens with your personnel? Because it is, it is a very large county geographically with a very small police force. Yeah. Well, and he can't even get the words out in between all of Pryor's yelling and objecting and absolute rudeness. Yeah. Well, and you know, I used to work domestic violence in this county and Humphreys was the sheriff at that time as well. He's been the sheriff a long time. Yeah. Um, and often I would go to a scene where there was literally only one officer there Yeah. and they wouldn't be able to stay very long because they were the only officer on that night. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they've got for staff. They don't have very many. And so it, I'm sure, is a hardship if they have to send a bunch of their staff away, pay for them to be put up through all this time and be without them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I get where Rob Wood is coming from, that, that you know, this is, a, this is a hardship for this county. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, you'd like to see Pryor get the boot for arrogance. <laughs> Unfortunately, right. that is 
an epidemic in defense attorneys. So probably not going to happen. However, the judge was getting real sick of him with mm -hmm. the, the objections. <laughs> and and Humphreys did say something about a jury, you know, jurors at one point, but we didn't ask him that. He just said that. And I got to tell you, their Facebook page. <laughs> mm -hmm pictures of watch out there's elk on the road in this area does anyone know who this mule belongs to the sand dunes are these yours <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> does anyone know whose mule this is that's too funny <laughs> yeah. that sounds about right for Fremont County <laughs> yeah watch out for elk on the road no kidding mm-hmm Oh, has anyone seen this little dog? Someone's missing it. Yeah, this seems like pretty, uh, pretty innocuous. Pretty hardcore stuff, guys. I don't know. Oh, no. Mm. Here's someone's emu on the loose. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. This is, it's two pictures of an emu, and it says, hopefully your day is going better than Deputy Summers. It's not every day you have an emu on the loose. Do you wrestle it? Rope it, hurt it, asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Right? What do you do? Because emus, they can kick real hard. You want to be really careful with them. Right, run for your life. What do you do? <laughs> no. Oh my God. I just, prior was getting way out of hand. Way. Yes, well, he wanted to build this up like this was some really big thing. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that Pryor is very good at mm -hmm. is is ramping up the energy in the hopes that the judge will get caught up in it and see something as bigger than it is. Unfortunately yeah. um, for him, Judge Boyce just doesn't really seem to take that. You know, yeah. he just he's a very even keel person. All right, I've scrolled all the way back to June 13th, 2020, where they did share a Rexburg Police Department press release about the finding of the kids. Okay. That's public knowledge. Yeah. Right. Tara says, seriously, I don't remember what I posted in 2020. This is a stretch. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. As it, clearly, it wasn't of extreme importance to Sheriff Humphreys because he mm -hmm. didn't remember it. And then when people tag him in things, I mean, he's not in control of that. He could, he could yeah. have untagged himself, but like he didn't make that. No, oh, and he's old. Yeah. He doesn't know how to untag himself. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is a police officer, not a tech genius. Okay. Right. Then on June 11th, they said, we live in an awesome place. We just want to thank everyone who has checked in on our staff, brought snacks, lunches, and shown support. There are too many people and businesses to list, but know that we truly appreciate it so very much. You know, because the community is trying to take care of the first responders that found, uh, you know, carried children. Yeah. 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 There, you know, I remember, you know, that there was a lot of concern for the officers that yeah. had to be present for that. And when the preliminary hearing for Chad, the police officers and the um, FBI agents that talked about that all choked up and like, it was, it's a traumatic experience for them. Oh, horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh, we're back.
Your Honor, I just received a message from Mr. Wood that he's tried re-entering, and it sounds like maybe he wasn't able to get back in. Okay. We'll give him a few minutes, and hopefully when he logs back in, it'll resolve. It looks like he's coming in now. Okay. Thank you. All right, hopefully the uh, feedback issues resolved. Do you just want to say something, Mr. Wood, to test that out? Uh, checking. I'm I'm not hearing any feedback now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's better. So thanks for doing that. All right, at this point, um, Mr. Pryor, then you can continue your cross-examination of Sheriff Humphreys. And Sheriff Humphreys, after we had an opportunity to go in the break room and you had a look at the Facebook posting. Uh, you will acknowledge that that on your personal Facebook account on June 11th of 2020, you posted images and a story about the Chad Daybell Lori Vallow case. Is that true? I did on that date, yes. Okay. Do you have any recollection, sir, of any other dates that you may have put on your personal Facebook account, images or stories about Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow? I do not have any recollection of any others. Is it possible there are others out there? I don't believe so. I didn't, I didn't remember having done this one, but I recognize it. Okay. And this wasn't on the sheriff's website that this was posted on Facebook, was it? That's correct. This was on your personal website, correct? A personal uh, Facebook account, correct? That's correct. How many followers do you have, sir? I have no idea. Okay. Thousands? I don't think so. Okay. But you would agree with me as the sheriff of Fremont County you have probably a significant following within the confines of Fremont County. Would you not agree with that? Jackson calls for speculation. It calls for him to answer a question about his following in Fremont County. The objections overruled. And counsel for both of you, if you make an objection, give me an opportunity to respond first. I may make a ruling without jumping in to uh, counter that, or I may ask for additional input. So with that in mind, uh, the objections overruled, you can answer, Sheriff Humphreys. I don't know how many people follow my Facebook page. Okay. Well, you agree with me that you know how Facebook works. You send an image out to the people who follow you. And not only does it go to the people that follow you, it goes to the people that are on their accounts as well. Does it not? I couldn't answer as to how Facebook okay. is that way. Are you aware that you and Mr. Wood are friends on Facebook? Um, I was not aware of that, no. Okay. Do you dispute that you and Mr. Wood are friends on Facebook? I don't know who all is listed as friends on my Facebook page. I don't spend very much time on there. 
but you would agree with me that a sheriff who's involved in one of the biggest cases in the country on his personal Facebook account starts posting images as it relates to an investigation in his county, at, at the least you would call that questionable conduct, wouldn't you, sir? Objection calls for speculation. Uh, overruled on those grounds. You would call that questionable conduct, wouldn't you, sir? Objection argumentative. Judge, you already ruled that's, on it. Well, that, that's sustained, it is argumentative. The, the question of conduct also does not provide any guidance for the court. Okay. So uh, is it is it your position, uh, Sheriff Humphreys, that since you did do some postings and have commented on the Daybell case on your personal account, that you should be excluded in participating decisions regarding Chad Daybell and his trial? I make very few decisions regarding his trial. Well, you posted something on your personal Facebook account about the case, sir, and you acknowledge that you did it. And, and at this point, you're telling me there's nothing else out there that's yet to be seen. But at this point, don't you find it inappropriate that a sheriff investigating a criminal case of some notoriety is putting personal postings about the case on his Facebook to some of his friends within Fremont County? You don't see that as a problem, sir? Objection relevance beyond the scope and proper arguments. Argumentative. It's actually proper. It goes to bias of, of this sheriff. He's posting things on his Facebook account and he's sitting there and saying, well, go ahead, Judge. I'm sorry. Well, uh, law enforcement typically can be biased when they're investigating cases. That's not grounds for, a, uh, for this line of questioning. He's a law enforcement officer. It's a personal account. It wasn't posted on the sheriff's official website. Uh, the impact that may have on the issue of change of venue is all that the court's concerned about at this point. And I do find a line of questioning improper at this point, and I'm, I'm uh, sustaining that objection by Mr. Wood. If you want to get to the relevance of how many people this may have affected in a potential jury pool, that's what the court's concerned with today, Mr. Pryor. Right. And that's where I'm going, Judge, is that in Fremont County, you would you would agree with me, Officer Sheriff Humphreys, that Fremont County is a relatively rural county. Would you agree with that? That's correct. And you would agree with me that there's been a significant, in fact, a great amount of uh, um, a press coverage as it relates to this case, correct? There has been. And you would agree with me that the press coverage in Fremont County alone has been saturated with a variety of photos, videos, stories from East Idaho News and others, correct? Numerous outlets. Right. And you would agree in this small rural community with that amount of significant press coverage and a sheriff who's the, the county sheriff in that, you don't think that you posting things about the Vallow Daybell case has an impact on some of the citizens of Fremont County, Sheriff? I don't know what impact would be post. What I do not know what impact that would have. Okay, but you would agree there'd be an impact, right? There could be. Okay, and you would agree that it was probably a bad choice to post things about Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow on your Facebook account. You'd agree with that, right? I do agree with that. Okay. So in other words, you were at least, and, and, and Sheriff, I don't want to berate you and beat you up, but it's not the point here. But what I'm concerned about is that Mr. Vallow or Ms. Vallow and Ms. Daybell, Mr. Daybell get a, a fair opportunity. And you would agree with me that the amount of publicity has been significant. 
and as the sheriff of this county, contributing to that, whatever regard, whatever, however it's gauged, uh, only adds to the the media attention and the postings that are are increasing the amount of attention brought to this case in Fremont County. You'd agree with that, right? Objection calls for speculation. Overruled. You would agree with that, Sheriff? Correct. I should not have done that. Yeah, correct. Okay, and and in all likelihood, the uh, your posting uh, could have been a factor in uh, at least swaying some people in Fremont County. We don't know how how significant it could be. Greatly significant, or it could be de minimis. You'd agree with that, right? Objection calls for speculation. That's sustained. Okay, but obviously there was an impact by your actions by putting that on your Facebook account, right? Objection calls for speculation. Well, it's asked and answered, so move on to another question, Ms. Pryor. No, I think that's it, Judge. I'm fine. Thank you. No more questions for the witness? No more then? questions, Judge. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That'll conclude the cross-examination. Any redirect, Mr. Wood? Um, just one moment, Your Honor. Just one, Sheriff Humphreys, in the post that you saw, did you mention Lori Daybell or Chad Daybell? I forwarded a post that I saw that. Uh, I'll just, just answer the question. Did you use the names Lori Daybell or Chad Daybell? No. Okay, that's all I have, Your Honor. All right. And with that, that'll conclude the testimony of Sheriff Humphreys. Thanks for your appearance today. You can be excused. And Mr. Wood, if you have another witness, you can call them at this time. Your Honor, the state calls Shane Terman. Thank you. I saw that. Is his last name Turner or Thurman? Herman. And how's that? I'll spell? have him spell it. Okay. That's showing up as Turner. I'm not sure why. Okay. So it's Turman? Yes. All right. Uh, Mr. Turman, if you can unmute, please, and if you can get a video signal. There we go. Um, if you would unmute your microphone, please. Is that okay? I do hear you. Not not real loud. I think you might want to talk into your microphone for the questioning. 
Let me first ask you, is that is that the correct spelling of your name is listed on the screen there? Yes, that's correct. Okay. All right, thank you, Officer Terman. At this point then, Mr. Wood, if you'd like to call that witness. Thank you, uh, Mr. Terman. Can you state oh. your name and spell it for the placed, record? Sorry, I'm, he needs to be placed under oath as well before oh. we So, uh, Officer Terman, if you'd please raise your right hand, I'll have Madam Clerk place you under oath. You solemnly swear or affirm the testimony you will give in the pending cause will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. I do. Okay, thank you. You can inquire, Mr. Wood. Thank you. Can you state your name for the record and spell your last name? It's Shane Terman. Spelling of my last name is T-U-R-M-A-N. Thank you. Uh, and what's your title? I'm the chief of police for the city of Rexburg in the state of Idaho. Okay. How long have you been the chief of the Rexburg police? Uh, 10 years and uh, this December will be 11 years. Okay. And how long have you worked for the Rexburg police department? Approximately 33 years. Okay. Uh, have you ever served as a detective? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. Are you familiar with the case regarding Lori Vallow-Daybell and Chad Daybell? Yes. How have you been involved in that case? Well, as the chief of police, I've uh, known that it's been going on. My detectives that work here have been uh, the, some of the key detectives in, in this case. And so as the chief of police, I've had to make uh, funds available and see to, to their needs and staffing uh, so that they could perform their duties in this investigation. Okay. Um, and so have you worked with your detectives and their involvement in this case? Uh, just getting updates from them. Okay. Investigation myself. Okay. So you haven't investigated it, but uh, what is your detectives division involvement been in this case? Uh, they've been involved in this case uh, from basically uh, day one. Uh, I believe it was starting um, November 1st of 2019 uh, when we received a phone call from a detective in Gilbert, Arizona, asking us to look for a uh, Jeep uh, that was, they believed that was involved in a possible crime down there. Okay. And let me let me go back for just a second. How many detectives do you have in your detectives division? I have six. Okay. Uh, and is that the current number? That is the current number. Okay. Have you had any detectives that have worked on this case that have since retired? Uh, yes, I've had uh, one detective that uh, I've had two detectives retire since this case started, uh, but one of them was the really the only one that was working on it uh, out of those two. Okay. Um, and are, as the chief, are you aware that the detectives who've worked on that case could be subpoenaed as witnesses to testify at trial? Yes, I'm aware of that. Okay. And I just want to ask you a few questions about if a change of venue in this case is granted and the trial is moved. What kind of cost does the Rexburg Police Department uh, incur as a result of that? Um, well, 
for it, for instance, if we go to uh, the city has a uh, a scale for per diem, and so uh, we would have to pay per diem for each one of those detectives, along with uh, depending on how far out it was. If it was a place where we'd have to get them a hotel room, uh, we'd have to get each one of them a room, uh, and for the city, roughly, uh, it's about $71 a day per diem going off of uh, someplace like Boise, Ada County, most places. Does that per diem amount change depending on where the location is? Uh, it can, but uh, the 71 is pretty close to most of the places in the state of Idaho. Okay. So you mentioned per diem costs. You mentioned hotel costs. Are you responsible for their travel costs? Uh, yes, so we would pay for uh, a hotel room for each one of those in detectives plus their per diem. Okay. Chief, of the detectives you have now, do you know how many of them have been significantly involved in the Ballot-A-Bell case? Yes, I have five out of my six detectives that have been significantly involved. Okay. And... In the event they were subpoenaed for trial, and we don't know how long the trial would last, but I think we can assume it would last several weeks. What effect would that have on your detectives division in Rexburg? Uh, well, you know, the number one thing is the chief I'm responsible for is the protection of our citizens here. And, uh, you know, we, as you know, we have a college with 22,000 students, and each one of those detectives is carrying a caseload. Uh, dealing with all kinds of uh, different crimes. Uh, it would really uh, hinder us because I'd only have one detective that would be available to handle all that. Our detectives are, are trained, uh, highly trained in fact, in things that a lot of our patrol officers aren't trained in. And so, you know, for instance, interviewing and in, in interrogation and things like that. And, uh, you know, right now, a lot of our cases that our detectives are dealing with deal with child abuse, sexual assault type cases. There are some major cases as well. I'm going to object at this point. We're getting a little off the mark in terms of uh, uh, the dissertation. Well, it's objections overruled. Um, but I would ask you to keep uh, the questioning in mind the scope of this hearing, Mr. Wood. Okay. Um, So, so Chief, just to make sure we understood what you were saying, is it your testimony that um, it would cause a hardship for the detectives department if they were subpoenaed for a significant amount of time out of their jurisdiction? Absolutely. Okay. Um, are you aware, does, does the Rexburg City Police Department work with and coordinate with other law enforcement agencies in the area? Yeah, we work with Fremont County, Madison County, Jefferson, uh, Bonneville. We're on a critical incident task force, so we help uh, our detectives go to those uh, uh, critical incident task force clear down to Pocatello at times, as well okay. as helping on, on other cases when, when we're called upon. Okay, thank you. Uh, the state has no further questions at this time. All right, cross-examination, Mr. Pryor. So how would I address you, officer? Would I address you as a sheriff or what would I, what would be your uh, 
the chief, chief of police. All right, I want to show due respect. Uh, chief, uh, with all of these uh, agreements with the other counties, um, we're assuming, aren't we, that all five-year detectives will be testifying at the same time, right? Uh, I don't know. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they wouldn't all be testifying at the same time. Okay. When, right, when would they be called up? I don't know. Okay, well, if one of them were called one day and then went back home, and the other one was called a different day and then went back home, and then another one was called on a third or fourth day and went back home, and a fifth one was called on a day and went back home, is it possible that you could get help from Bonneville, Jefferson, Madison County, Fremont County for each of those one days for an additional law enforcement officer to help you while the one officer is testifying or even two. That's possible, isn't it? Well, it's not as easy as that. It's uh, it's not like I can call in a, one of the other detectives to come in and handle one of my officer's cases that they're working on. Well, it may not be working on the cases, but if there's necessity that there's some patrolling or other things to do, uh, it's not going to impact a case if a detective is taking a few hours off from a case and has to take a day off and then work on the case the next day. You'd agree with that, right? Yeah, if I was just missing one detective for a right. day. I'm... So, so spacing them out or accommodating your schedule with your detective so it doesn't have an impact, that's something that's a viable alternative, isn't it? It would depend on how far they've got to travel. Okay, all right. Now, um, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Obviously, you have detectives that are within your organization that are um, involved in this case, right? That is correct. And they obviously can't be concerned with the uh, um, uh, cause, you know, providing security for Ms. Vallow. She's, she's in the Rexburg. Is she in Madison County or is she under your supervision with Rexburg? She neither her or Chad are under our supervision. They're, they're under Fremont, but they're housed in Madison. Well, not anymore, is she? So I guess the, the, my question is this. Um, uh, well, you know, Judge, I'll, I'll draw back on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that for a later day. I don't think I have any more questions, Judge. Thank you. All right. Any redirect, Mr. Wood? Um, not at this time, Your Honor. No. Okay. Uh, thanks, Chief Terman. That'll conclude your testimony then. Thank you for your appearance this afternoon. Thank you, Your Honor. You're welcome. You can log off of the call. Mr. Wood, do you have another witness to call? No, the state has no other witnesses. All right. Does either side have any additional evidence or uh, witnesses to call before we get to the argument section of this hearing, Mr. Pryor, starting with you? Judge, I would just have argument. All right, Mr. Wood. No further witnesses. Okay, thank you. We'll consider the evidence presented then. At this point, I will allow argument. It's your motion, Mr. Pryor. If you'd like to make argument and then uh, hear from Mr. Wood after that. All right, Judge, I would start out and, and we're cutting out a little bit. So my hope is that the court can hear me still. Okay, thank you. Judge, I would start out, but I want to cite the case of um, Irvin versus Dowd. And the case is uh, 366 US 717. Um, and it's a case that I think is directly on point as it relates to a change of venue. This is a rural community, and the case of Irvin versus Dowd talks about the inherent 
prejudice when you have a very small rural community. And I think in the urban versus Dowd case, they were talking about somebody, something that's probably five or six times bigger than uh, St. Anthony. But in that particular case, Judge, they talked about the prejudice that's inherent when there was such media saturation to such an extent that everybody knows about the, 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 the case, everybody knows about what's going on in the case, and that uh, the very nature of that excessive and, and um, um, unrelenting publicity causes an inherent uh, prejudice for uh, a defendant to get a fair trial. And I would, I would ask the court to take a look at the Urban versus Dowd because the Supreme Court of the United States has set forth criteria. And it's very specific criteria. It's very specific criteria that addresses under what circumstances uh, does a barrage of publications and information cause this inherent uh, um, prejudice. I would also like, like the court to look at, it's, it's, Reed, it's Riddell versus Louisiana, 373 U.S. 723. Again, it talks about how, how excessive press coverage causes and deprives a defendant of a fair trial. Now, my concern is this is obviously in the small rural community of St. Anthony, we have had a tremendous amount of attention brought to this. That attention includes a number of pictures, obviously, on East Idaho News. Those pictures include a, uh, uh, a decoration of the county courthouse. Now, those decorations of the county courthouse in Fremont County, they came down after I made my bond reduction for Mr. Daybell well over a year ago. And it was only after I made that argument did that come down. Then the pictures on East Idaho News talked about the sign that was on the very front when you drive into St. Anthony. There's a sign in the very front of the city that you drive into, and on that sign, and for many, many months, Judge, and you'll look at the publications that were submitted to the court, justice for J.J. and Tiley. Now, that is a constant reminder for anyone who drives into St. Anthony and sees the publicity that is being uh, uh, Presented Now, again, right after the Daybell bond reduction motion, strangely enough, <coughs> excuse me, that sign came down. Uh, the signs and the, uh, uh, the, the, the advertising at the Madison County Courthouse, and there's pictures of that as well. The pictures in Madison County and the, the ribbons decorating Madison County also came down. Um, my concern, Judge, is that there's been so much publicity and you're talking about a rural community, and I think Urban versus Dowd and Riddell versus Louisiana are are, um, are pertinent and offer a, uh, some insight in what the court should be looking at in terms of how you make a decision as to whether or not this publicity has reached that level. There's also a case, Judge, and, and it's United States versus Rewald, R-E-W-A-L-D, 889 Federal 2nd 836 from the Ninth Circuit. It's uh, 1988. Again, that's something else that touches on the issue of what's appropriate in terms of uh, a significant amount of attention. Uh, Judge, when I, when I took on the obligation to represent Mr. Daybell in this particular matter, I had no idea uh, that this was going to garner so much attention. I would suggest that, Judge, uh, other than a case that occurred in Minneapolis, this case has drawn more media attention than any other case uh, that I can think of in recent history. It has been incessant. Uh, the exhibits that have been admitted, one through eight of my exhibits, they aren't just a couple of pictures, Judge. They are a significant number of videos. They are a significant number of stories. They are a significant 
uh, uh, number of posts, and uh, it, it's overwhelming the amount of attention this case has brought. Now, I'm not going to say what Mr. Wood's argument is, that maybe I haven't shown enough prejudice. Well, I think that if the court reviews Irvin versus Dowd and looks at the cases I cited, you'll see how the United States Supreme Court addresses this issue of incessant, excessive publicity and how it interferes with someone's right to a fair trial. I would submit to the court that the, 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 the amount of attention has been overwhelming. Now, on August 4th, we had a preliminary hearing. It was the second day of the preliminary hearing. And on August 4th, uh, Court TV, and I believe East Idaho News, published a letter, and I have included it in the submissions, from President Nelson of the Salt Lake City, uh, uh, obviously the president of the LDS Church. And that letter came out on the second day of the Daybell hearing. Now I've submitted to the court and I'm not gonna go into the details of what was said in that letter. And I will leave it to the court. But what took place afterwards, Judge, were a number of, of, of conflicting opinions about people who felt the timing of that letter on August 4th was inappropriate by President Nelson. Now, I have had a wonderful opportunity, if there's any saving grace in me doing this, is that I have jumped into the, uh, the uh, task of learning as much as I can about the LDS faith. I've tried to teach myself. I've read many of their books. Uh, Chad actually provided me one of their books and I, I read that. And I did some research on President Nelson. He has done nothing but live an exemplary life. He has been a pillar uh, and he's been an amazing role model for not only people in the LDS faith, but for people of all faiths. This is a man who has, has been absolutely exemplary in his conduct. Now, I think that his, and I'm not going to speak for him, but I, I think that his motive at that time was to say, listen, let the judicial system play out. The problem is, is that I don't necessarily agree with maybe his lawyers and the way they drafted that letter, and maybe he needs to look at some other lawyers, but this is not on President Nelson, and I will never disparage him because everything I've learned about him and read about him is that this is an amazing human being. Now, I'm going to object on relevance at this point and facts not in evidence. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll consider the submission of the latter, but I think we're outside of the scope of this hearing. Okay. This line so of I, I think that what President Nelson was trying to do was he was trying to downplay all the attention for Mr. Or, or Mr. Uh, Daybell in this case, but that submission on the second day of the preliminary hearing brought a lot of attention. And it came directly from the LDS church, the top of the LDS church. And again, I don't think President Nelson intended what, what he did was going to cause that problem. And in fact, I'm almost certain of it. But it did bring a lot of attention. Then sometime later, sometime later, there was a submission. And this was at the request. And Judge, I've included it as part of the exhibits. And it's in the exhibits. If the court wants the date of when those exhibits were submitted, I believe... Uh, that was on Fox 13 of August 12th of 2020. Uh, that, was, that, that should be in the documents that I provided to you. And what that was was a letter from Heather Daybell. And I've included the entire letter as well as the media article that was attached to that. And in that particular letter, Ms. Daybell talked specifics. And she said some very unpleasant things about Mr. Daybell. But the concern I had was this, is that in the letter... She talks immediately, one of the first sentences was, at the, at the request of President Dowling of the Henry Fork Stake. 
And this was also advertised on Court TV. Court TV ran with this story and publicized the entire letter and talked in detail about what was on what Ms. Daybell had said. Your Honor, I, just, I don't want to inter interrupt Mr. Pryor, but if we are going to be going into these specifics, I'm going to ask that we do it in the breakout room. We're, and he's entitled to argue. I'm just saying if, if we're going to argue those facts that we've tried to uh, not broadcast, I think we, that should be done in a breakout. Judge, and I'm uh, not broadcasting anything. I'm speaking in general, and I'm trying to be as, as uh, sensitive to everybody as I possibly can. Talk right, about Mr. Pryor, hold on. There's an objection. I need to make a ruling on that. Uh, I am going to sustain that objection in terms that I think it goes beyond the admonishment I've had in terms of the specifics of the exhibits. Those are in the record and will be considered by the court. And I think if you would just refer to those by reference, but without going into the detail in your argument, knowing that those will be considered by the court. So if you'd like to point out or highlight any specific exhibits and how you think those exhibits legally affect this issue, then make argument on that, Mr. Pryor, please. And Judge, my concern is that's tying my hands in terms of arguing specific facts about these things. Uh, but I'll, I'll obviously accept the court's admonishment and I'll move forward. Thank so you. in any event, I would ask the court to take a look at the documents and all of the, uh, the exhibits that were submitted in regards to Ms. Daybell. I would like the court to take a look at the area that was impacted by Ms. Daybell's letter, and as well as read the article that talks about the scope and the, the, uh, the range of where her letter reached and the number of people that it reached. Then we move on, Judge, to uh, uh, the next issue. Now, the next issue is that uh, throughout this proceeding, there have been a number of vigils. Those copies of those articles are included uh, in the in the documentation that I submitted to the court. There was a vigil, I believe, in Rexburg. There was a vigil that was uh, done in Idaho Falls. Uh, my, my recollection is the one in Idaho Falls brought in several hundred people. I believe there was a vigil in St. Anthony, and there was a vigil in Boise. And the vigil in Boise drew, I believe, uh, uh, two dozen people. Uh, so it wasn't as well received as uh, the ones over here in eastern Idaho. But the fact is, is that there's been the community brought together and they've had uh, uh, these religious vigils or, or however you want to characterize that uh, in talking about and, and bringing attention to this case. That obviously brings citizens from all over, all over eastern Idaho to, to, uh, to uh, uh, and it draws attention to the case. The next issue, Judge, is um, we, are, we are in a situation, and I'm going to move forward, where we are then having uh, pictures of various businesses in the community selling items of memorabilia, various citizens in the community, such as a bakery, that in their, their bakery at a very well-known grocery store in Rexburg are selling cupcakes that have messages that are directly tied to this particular case. And I'm going off, Judge, I'm, I apologize, but I'm going off of my, my, my slides. My concern is this, is that a combination of the significant amount of media attention, a combination of how the community has brought themselves together to conduct vigils, a combination of letters that have been sent, particularly in the Henry's Fork Stake, that have had an impact. And we have no way of knowing when an email is sent out What's the scope of where that email went to? The combination of people selling memorabilia such as sweatshirts and cupcakes in businesses within Eastern Idaho that directly reference this particular case. 
a combination of two courthouses in Fremont and Madison County, in which both of those courthouses have put up ribbons around the courthouse that have been posted by East Idaho News, a combination of the number of signs all over the community. Now that's gonna have an impact. So I don't see how that's not prejudicial. And when the court looks at Irvin versus Dowd, you will see how the Supreme Court has ruled in that regard. Now, obviously we're disappointed in the court's ruling as it relates to David Bryant and, uh, and the, uh, the, the survey with, that was done. But the reality is the results of that survey are disturbing. And the reality is that there has been an incessant amount of attention draw, drawn to this case. And the reality is, is that what we need to do is get this out of an area where there is such a rural community that has made up their mind, that have, for all practical purposes, judge, have, have got on the bandwagon of vigils, merchandising, uh, and, and a variety of other things. And we need to move it to a place where there's a larger population base. And, and unfortunately, like many states, uh, there's one large population base, and that's in Boise. And the likelihood is, is that if we are going to move the case, Boise would be the most obvious place to try, try to find jurors who either have not made up their mind or have not had a significant amount of attention drawn to this, to suggest that a rural county in eastern Idaho, we can get a fair jury when this thing has been uh, incessantly uh, on the news for almost every day is, is absolutely ludicrous. And to suggest we can go to Madison County, to suggest we can go to Bonneville County. And if the court decides to move venue and considers Bonneville County, at that point, I am going to ask the court to take another look at our, 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 uh, our survey and apply it as a, I don't think it's appropriate that anywhere in the seventh judicial district, uh, this thing should be heard. Uh, my preference and choice of preferences are simply this, Judge. I would ask the court to consider Boise. I would ask the court to then, if the court did not consider Boise, I would ask for Twin Falls. If Twin Falls is not appropriate to the court, I would, I would ask the court as a third choice to go to Pocatello. At that point, I think that we are far enough away. Um, my final concern is this. I have no doubt that Sheriff Lem Humphreys is a, uh, is a honorable man. And I think he's a good man. Uh, I have only had one conversation. I don't even know if Sheriff Humphreys would remember that. We ran across each other on one of the streets in uh, downtown St. Anthony. But I think he made a, a big mistake. And we all make mistakes. I, I, uh, and I think in this instance, Sheriff Humphrey was honorable enough to say, I made a mistake. I posted this on my personal Facebook account. And I advertised that out there with not really thinking through the impact that would have. But the difficulty is when you're the sheriff in a position of authority in a rural community and you post those things and talk about justice for JJ and Tylee, it cannot help but to have an impact on this community and influence them some way. So in conclusion, Judge, I would ask the court to strongly consider moving this case entirely out of the seventh judicial district. I think that based on the cases that I presented, based on the eight uh, folders which contain subfolders of many, many, many documents of a variety of forms. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to keep it here. And the difficulty is this, is if the court even considers keeping it in the seventh judicial district, at that point, David Bryant and his, uh, his, uh, his, his survey 
should be considered by the court because at that point we have a survey with legitimate results that says, unfortunately, 82 to 80 some percent have already made up their mind that Mr. Daybell is guilty. This is- Your Honor, I'm gonna to reject to any, any comments on the subject of the, the polls. It's not in evidence. Okay, and Judge, that's all I yeah. have. Thank you. All right, and that last uh, reference to the exhibit that was not admitted will not be considered by the court, so I won't consider that part of the argument as well. Thank you for the argument then, Mr. Pryor. Mr. Wood, state's argument. Thank you, Your Honor. Before I get into the legal argument, just a, a couple of evidence issues. Um, Mr. Pryor in his uh, documents were submitted and admitted um, in the metrics folder. There's, there's two documents that we'd like to speak about. Um, and I'm more than willing to do that in a breakout room. It's just uh, data. I, so I don't know that it's objectionable in any way, uh, but I'll leave that to the court's discretion on how we discuss it. And Judge, I'm not opposed to Mr. Wood bringing up. I'm fully aware of the metrics in East Idaho News' readership as it relates to Boise and Idaho Falls. And I'm happy for Mr. Wood to go into that. I'll be responding, though. Okay. Well, if you'd like to, you can, Mr. Wood. That particular exhibit, I don't believe, carries any uh, danger of further prejudice. So I think it's fine to review to those metrics or, or uh, discuss those metrics here on the live stream, Mr. Wood. So if you have any. Okay. Uh, specifics of that you'd like to discuss, go ahead. So there's there's two documents. Um, they're East Idaho News' uh, user data hits on stories. Um, there, there's two of them. They each have 25 cities. I would note that there is not a single city in Fremont County that shows up in the top 50 cities of, of hits on East Idaho News stories. Uh, the the number one city is Salt Lake City. Uh, the second city is Boise. Um, but the, we're not actually here to talk about Boise or Salt Lake or, or anywhere else other than Fremont County today. And there's not a city in Fremont County that shows up there. I think that's important. So uh, last week, I guess part of what we have to look at there too is the is the population base. I mean, last I checked, I think Fremont County's got about 12,000, around 12,000 people. And, you know, when I look at that list, I guess what I'm getting at is number of hits is a percentage of population. So if you've got a certain number of hits in Boise, but there's half a million people in Boise, uh, then Fremont County at 12,000 may not show up. And of course, the the concern is the amount as a percentage, I guess, of the citizens that may have been exposed. So I'm just, I'm just pointing that sure. out. I think a factor that must be considered. Uh, and, and absolutely, I would point out that there's actually, uh, in the most recent uh, uh, census, there's more than 13,000 people. And that's not a big difference than 12,000 people. <laughs> but okay. it is, you know, that, that's the data. Um, yeah. Now, I... I agree, Your Honor, and, and quite frankly, some of this data is a little bit murky, but it's still remarkable that in the location of trial, nowhere in, in Fremont County even shows up in the top 50. And that's all we're submitting that for. Um, as the court noted in the status conference last week, there is a presumption that venue is, is proper in Fremont County, and that's where the trial should be held. 
and it's the defense's burden to overcome that presumption. Um, there's two types of, of prejudice when you're talking about a, a fair jury in terms of venue. There's actual, which we can't talk about because you have to actually try to pick a jury to get there or presumed. Um, and at a minimum, the defendant's burden is that he has to show a reasonable likelihood that prejudicial news coverage prevents a fair trial. Um, and in, in State versus Haddon, it's, a, it's an Idaho case, uh, the court there recognized that most cases of consequence garner at least some pretrial publicity. However, a presumption of prejudice requiring a change of venue attends only the ex, uh, extreme case. And there's a test for that. And that test remains whether the trial atmosphere has been utterly corrupted by press coverage. Um, further, State versus Yeager, it is not incumbent upon the trial judge to find juries, jurors who are totally ignorant of the facts and issues involved in this case. Uh, further, in Yeager, publicity by itself does not require a change of venue. An error cannot be predicated on the mere existence of pretrial publicity concerning a criminal case. Now, Mr. Pryor did predict my argument. Yes, the state concedes there's been a lot of pretrial publicity. Uh, the state would note that the state has made several attempts to, to lessen that. We ask that cameras not be allowed in the preliminary hearing, not to seal the hearing, and that's in another case, but it does bear on the publicity of this case. We asked that, that not be allowed to simply lessen the amount. And we noted that there's no right to a camera in a courtroom. The Supreme Court's been explicit about that. Mr. Pryor and Mr. Daybell asked that it be shown publicly. So the, the biggest source of evidence involving this case, Mr. Pryor and Mr. Daybell asked that it be broadcasted to whoever may want to see it, whether that's in Fremont County or outside of the county. So the court has been very clear. There's factors that this court must consider in determining whether or not the defendant has met its burden. Uh, the first, the existence of affidavits or indicia of prejudice in the community. Mr. Pryor has not provided one witness to state that they've been prejudiced. He's not provided one affidavit. The case law is replete and talks constantly about providing affidavits to show prejudice. Not one affidavit has been provided. Not one indicia of prejudice has been provided, not a single witness. The accuracy of the pretrial publicity. Uh, Mr. Pryor has not made any attempts whatsoever uh, to show any evidence that the pretrial publicity was inaccurate. Uh, he hasn't put on any witnesses to talk about it. He hasn't indicated it himself. There's no, no showing has been made. The extent to which the articles are inflammatory, inaccurate, or beyond the scope of admissible evidence. Again, uh, the defendant is on the burden to show that the general public has been exposed to inflammatory publicity, inaccurate publicity, or publicity based on non-admissible evidence. No such showing has been made. Um, I'll just briefly reference the, the Heather Daybell email, and I'm not going to get into the facts of it. He can't show how many people received it. He can't show how many people read it. He hasn't produced a single affidavit from anyone saying they were prejudiced by it, nor has he produced a single affidavit of any individual saying they're prejudiced by any of the, uh, the news. Uh, the one area where uh, the number of articles, the state does concede there has been an extreme amount of news surrounding this story. Um, however, the court is clear 
that alone does not create a presumption of prejudice. Mr. Right. Wood, though, on, on the factors the court does consider, I think, though, the amount in and of itself is certainly a factor, I think, that gets considered. Um, I would note there's a case, State versus Hall, which is an Idaho case, 111-827, and that says impartiality may be affected adversely by the quality or the quantity of pretrial media coverage, and goes on to state that when prospective jurors are incessantly exposed to news stories selectively packaged for mass consumption, they may become subtly conditioned to accept a certain version of facts at trial. Such repetitive exposure may diminish the juror's ability to separate information absorbed before trial from information presented during trial. And that cites to another case, State versus Brooks 103, Idaho 892. So uh, while there's an argument maybe that the publicity has been accurate, I think just uh, at some point in overwhelming quantity may be something that could lead to that issue discussed in Hall. So I haven't reviewed through all of the exhibits yet to see where we are on that, but I want to let you know that's a concern I do have is just strictly based on quantity of coverage based on that case. Well, and, and it's, it's absolutely within the court's discretion to do so. Like I said, that is one of the the factors is the number of articles. Um, I would just point out though that the case law is clear that uh, press coverage itself does not create a presumption of prejudice, but the court is absolutely correct in its discretion to review the number of articles and the substance of them. Um, and that, that dovetails with whether the potential jur jurors were so incessantly exposed to such articles that they had subtly become conditioned to accept a particular version of the facts at trial. Uh, and I, I think with, there's been no showing today, and obviously the court is, has those items in evidence. It can review those items and it can make for itself a determination whether or not it's inflammatory, whether or not it's accusatory. I don't know that I've seen a single uh, East Idaho news story that said anyone was guilty or anyone's not entitled to a fair trial. Um, that would be inflammatory. Uh, if any, Anyway, the, I think the court is entitled to absolutely look at that and make that uh, make that determination. But the, the, the facts that have been related are relevant that the state has seen, and I'll let the court make its own determination, but appear to be true. They're not fortunate facts. They're not good facts. They're not fun. They're disturbing. But accurate, accurate representation in the media, um, absent of showing the prejudice, it should not be enough. And then finally, uh, the length of time elapsed between the pretrial publicity and the trial and any assurances given by potential jurors themselves concerning their impartiality. This is a, a little more difficult to look at because we don't have a trial date set. We don't know when trial is going to be, nor do we know what news is going to come in between now and the trial. Uh, we don't know uh, if another case is going to come along and blow this one out of the water. We don't know if this case will become the biggest case in the country. So uh, that's difficult for a court to make a determination on that. Again, Your Honor, uh, there is a burden of proof. Um, uh, the, the defendant is responsible to show a reasonable likelihood that prejudicial news coverage prevents a fair trial. And 
for that presumption of prejudice, he has to show that this is an extreme case, whether the trial atmosphere has been utterly corrupted by press coverage. I think to get to that point, Your Honor, he has to show some actual prejudice. He has to show, uh, he has to have some witnesses. He has to have some affidavits of people who show prejudice. And he can smile and shake his head no, but that is the burden set out by the, the case law. Uh, and the state will, uh, again, the one thing I do want to point out, there's a lot of talk about the press coverage. There's been, there's been nothing that links just simply to only in Fremont County. Uh, there's, it's all over the state. And so I think that's important for the court to consider as well. Um, uh, the hearing today is about Fremont County. And as, as far as Fremont County is concerned, I don't believe that burden has been met. All right. Thanks for the argument, Mr. Wood. Mr. Pryor, I'll allow you a, a rebuttal argument if you'd like. Before <clears throat> I do want to address that fact of what's the direct evidence I have about any prejudice within Fremont County itself that's been presented today or that's in the record. And uh, the other issue is, well, not not just on that, but why, <clears throat> what would be the, I know there are some downsides, but uh, why would it not be appropriate to potentially go see if we can get a jury picked? And uh, if that, through the process of voir dire, obviously we can vet out jurors and see where we land. And then if we determine through, instead of uh, the court having to make a determination here based on this, seeing what actually happens when we get enough jurors there to call, uh, why wouldn't we make a try there first before we uh, go through all of what's going to take to move the trial? So those are the two issues I'm thinking about in this decision, if you want to address those. And Judge, I'll address your first decision about trying to get a jury in Fremont County and then uh, seeing if we're able to do that. The concern, Judge, is in, in many cases, uh, that's not an unreasonable request. But this isn't any case. This is probably the biggest case in our country right now. And the case involves six counts that could cause Mr. Daybell to be given a lethal injection. And what we, the court is suggesting is that we're going to pick a jury. And oh, by the way, if we're not able to pick a jury out of Fremont County, at that point, then maybe we need to look somewhere else. But the picking of a jury is not just as simple as bringing 100 people in and saying, uh, let's pick 100 people and see if we can find some people to do this. There are going to be, and then obviously the court's going to see these motions, but there are going to be studies. There's going to be questionnaires. There's going to be a lot of effort. And in, in my past, when I've been involved in significant cases, there have been times when picking a jury has taken a week, has taken two weeks. And if the court is going to invest a week or two weeks in picking a jury, and then we come to the conclusion that we're not able to pick a jury here, at that point, we then have to find a place to find a jury to pick and go through the two-week process again. It would seem that's a waste of resources. Mr. Woods seems so concerned about resources that uh, he forgets that this is Mr. Dable's right to a fair, impartial jury. And he's, and even though he's waived a speedy trial judge, Mr. Daybell has been locked up for a significant amount of time. If for some reason in several months from now, we're not able to come up with a jury, it's gonna be several more months, maybe even longer, before we can get into another jurisdiction where we're going to pick a jury. So the reality of it is this, is that taking a test run and taking a stab to see we, if we can do it. When you're dealing with a death penalty case, that's not the manner in which you proceed. 
The manner in which you proceed is you find an appropriate jurisdiction that you know you have the best chance to obtain a fair and impartial jury. And from my position, the largest metropolitan area in the state of Idaho is Boise, the Treasure Valley. Whether that's Ada County, whether that's Canyon County, that's where we are more than likely to find the largest number of people who may not have heard about this or have may not made up their decision. Now, the prejudice and the direct prejudice question, Judge. Uh, this court made it very clear, and I advised the court that I had a slideshow that I was intending to show a number of slides, and I was intending on putting on a significant presentation. This court was not going to allow me to present certain slides and certain evidence. In fact, the court stopped me on the Heather Daybell thing and said, I'm not letting you get into this. Now, isn't that the very definition of inflammatory or influencing? When well, and to be clear, I'll, I'll review that evidence. The evidence is there and you can refer to it and I can look at it for what it is and make that determination. So it was only in expressly relating to it an argument that I curtailed there, Mr. Pryor. Right. And, and you know, and, and Judge, if it wasn't so inflammatory, if it wasn't so concerning, we'd be showing it to all the people watching right now. But the reality is, is it's in, there is disconcerting stuff. And Mr. Wood can put in his pleadings, and Mr. Wood, and this is all on the stuff that I submitted, Mr. Wood can do a press conference and announce that he's seeking the death penalty, and Ms. Blake can get on there and speak. No, no, Jack, that, that's a fact, not an evidence, and that never happened. Well, well, well that's, the objection sustained because that's outside of the scope of anything presented at the hearing here, Mr. Pryor. Well, it's in the evidence, Judge, and it's in the videotapes that have been submitted. So okay. it's, it's there, then I'll consider it. But and at that point, Judge, you know what? Mr. Pryor hasn't got on public TV. Mr. Pryor hasn't got on court TV. Mr. Pryor hasn't got on Dateline or anything else and, and done anything like that. But what has happened in Fremont County is Heather Daybell wrote a letter to the Henry's Fork Stake. That letter was disseminated and the court can read the article about how far it was disseminated. That's, that's a problem for us. That's a problem for a fair trial. And then what did we hear about today? The sheriff of Fremont County on, uh, in, in 2020, on his personal Facebook account, posted images of the Daybell case. Now, Mr. Wood brought up, well, you didn't mention, you didn't mention Chad or Lori. No, he just mentioned Tylee and JJ on it, and then talked about some other things that were posted as part of this. If you're telling me that a sheriff in a county whose job is part to investigate this case and to provide uh, assistance to Mr. Wood gets on his personal Facebook account and advertises out there, you're telling me that that's not going to have an impact? You're telling me that's not going to influence citizens in rural Fremont County? That is absolutely ridiculous to suggest that it, that it wouldn't influence people. Finally, Judge, again, I keep going back to this. Mr. Wood is misconstruing the case law as it relates to venue. Mr. Wood is absolutely misconstruing the case law and what it says. If the media coverage is so great that it inherently is going to influence the outcome or attention brought to this case, that's in case law, that's addressed in the Hall case that the court brought up, but more importantly, Judge, it's addressed in our highest court in the United States, the U.S. Supreme Court, and they have clearly set forth the standards, not the standards Mr. Wood would like you to follow, but the standards that all of us should be following. Judge, I, I have never... I've been doing this for a little north of 25 years. I have never seen a case 
that has brought on so much attention. I have never seen a case, and, and the court can go back, and I can't even imagine the task this court has of having to go through all of the evidence that I've submitted. Many, many items of evidence that this court's gonna have to sift through, and it's, 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 an, it's, a, it's a huge task. It's a monstrous task. It was a monstrous task to go through all of the stuff for me, I can't even imagine. But judge, if it's that big of a task, that would suggest that the media attention has been significant, more than significant. It's been outrageous. And it's not a coincidence that in Idaho Falls, Idaho, now I don't want to misstate how far St. Anthony is from Idaho Falls, but these folks in this side of the state have their very own news agency, East Idaho News. This is a very prominent news organization. And whether I agree or disagree with everything that they put on there, and obviously I'm not going to make a public statement, but I don't agree with what's been said about Mr. Daybell. In fact, most of it I disagree with. Almost all of it I disagree with. And unfortunately, now I broadcast that. But that's not the meter that you go by. You apply the Irvin versus Dowd in the cases I applied. And there is no way that with the amount of tension that Mr. Daybell could get a fair trial here. And the difficulty is it's not let's like shoot basketball hoops and hope maybe we can sink a few and get a fair jury. We don't get to take a try and say, well, let's take a stab at it. And if it doesn't work well, we'll move it somewhere else and take another stab. That, that just doesn't make sense. So I would, I would encourage the court to, to please, this needs to be in the, uh, the Western part of the state in Boise, Idaho, in Ada County, and that would be the best chance we could get for uh, uh, having a fair and impartial jury. Okay, thanks for the argument, counsel. Um, Your Honor, I, I, I don't want to re-argue anything. I was going to say, if you have any additional argument, you may. I, all I wanted to say, Your Honor, I, I, the state just really, uh, the way that uh, Mr. Pryor has discussed Sheriff Humphreys, we strongly disagree with. Uh, he hasn't cited any law, any rules of ethics, or anything else that he's done wrong. And and the way that he uh, treated him as a witness and the way he spoke, we just strongly disagree with him. We'll leave it at that. And Judge, if he's going to make a, a statement that I want a response, Sheriff Humphreys acknowledged... No, no, Mr. Pryor, listen. He testified. I gathered the reason for the testimony. He made his answers. I'll take that under advisement. I don't need further argument to construe what, what he said or what he did. So... I'll consider the matter submitted in terms of both argument and evidence. So the court needs to uh, review through the evidence, obviously, that's submitted today. I'll issue a written decision on the motion to change venue, which, again, to be very clear, does not actually change venue of the case. It's a transfer of trial under Criminal Rule 21 and also under uh, Title 19, Chapter 18 of the Idaho Code. So I will take it under advisement, get a written decision and determination on that. And that will conclude the hearing. Council, while that does conclude the hearing, there's one other matter I wanted to take up separately as it relates to a motion that's been sealed. And while I have council on the line, I just want to briefly address that. So we will conclude this hearing on the motion. And then if we could just briefly go into a breakout room for a moment with Mr. Pryor and the prosecution and the court reporter, uh, I'll address the issue related to that other motion. And then we'll be uh, in recess for the day on the case. So Madam Clerk, if you'd set that breakout room up, then we will talk further there.
Well, I'm okay, a then. Prior, listen. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We've all had enough of you. Oh, my God. I'm very glad I don't have to listen to any more of him today. Oh. At some point, his energy makes me really anxious. Just the intensity. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his blood pressure must be through the freaking roof. Oh, it must. But, you know, I mean, seriously, all of this pearl clutching and bitching and moaning about all of the coverage of this case. Chad Daybell had dead children buried in his backyard. If he yeah. didn't want a bunch of attention, then maybe you shouldn't have done that. You yeah. know, like, give me a friggin' break here. Yeah. yeah. We Chris, all know that the reason for the attention was the choices made. Well, and the right. crimes committed the, here. The like, egregious crimes here. I mean, come yeah. on, man. That's not the sheriff's fault. That's not the yeah. media's fault. That's nobody's fault. No, yeah. it is. Except for Chad and Lori's. Yeah. <laughs> Chris said you could try him on Mars. He's still a sick, twisted murderer and will still fry. Well, he will. I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't matter None of this what jury hears this end. case. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree, Idaho Rebel Girl. I love that Rob defended Sher Sheriff Len Humphreys. Absolutely. Humphreys didn't do anything wrong. Give me a damn break. Right. Well, and 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 Pryor just kept overblowing it. Well, you've made posts on Facebook. He kept implying mm -hmm. there were more. And you know, because you looked at his page, mm -hmm. that that's there not, not true. More. Well, he tried to indicate maybe there were some that had been deleted. Oh, does that strike you as a guy who deletes shit on Facebook? He doesn't, he barely knows how to use Facebook. Right. He barely even happening. knew what he had posted. No. Yeah. He didn't. And it's not like he posted anything like Chad Daybell is guilty, you know, like, come on. No. It was, and this is why it was posted. And I wish they could have said this and I know why they couldn't, but. The officers that were involved in finding those kids have been horrifically traumatized. Right. It was an awful, awful thing. They are ill inside. They are so broken up. They still are. It's been a horrible thing for them. Yes. And that's what Humphreys was feeling is that he had just looked two dead kids in the face that had been yeah. buried and burned and mutilated by these fools. And somebody posted something in kindness about the kids and about the way we treat our children and should treat our children. And he shared it. I mean, that's it. it that's it. That's all it was. And it didn't, it's not going to change anything. And whatever, oh. you know, I, I think they're, I think that he's gonna, the judge is going to come back on prior side and say, yes, we need to move this trial. But mm -hmm. I also think it might mean bringing in a jury. I'm not sure it will actually mean physically moving the trial. Mm -hmm. Well, I love how he just, he finally threw the gauntlet out for Boise, you know, yeah, he hadn't thought around about that for quite a while, but he finally threw it down that what he really wants is Ada County. And we know that uh, it's not going to just be as easy as saying, okay, we're moving to Ada. Right. Because we have it on good authority that Ada County does not want it, does yeah. not want to take it. That they don't have the time for it. They don't have the funding for it. They don't have mm -hmm. the energy for it. And that they're planning on punting right. it back and saying, we can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and telling the judge what you do and don't do in a death penalty trial is pretty damn hilarious, considering that uh, Pryor's never tried one before. Yeah. I thought Does that was travel... very presumptuous. Yeah. 
Does the judge travel with the trial? Our understanding is that yes, he does. Generally, they they can they can opt not to apparently, but most of the time they do. Mm -hmm. uh, Rhombohedral. What I don't get is this is a death penalty trial. Prior can be second chair, but not first. Okay. So what he we learned can. about that is that because he's still a private pay client, yes, he can. Chad can choose to hire whoever he wants. Right. If Chad was uh, found to be indigent and the state started having to pay for his bill, they could say, no, you have to have somebody like they did in Maury's case. Yes. So Ada County is Boise, which is the uh, capital of the state of Idaho. And it's about five hours away from where mm -hmm. we are, from where this trial would be now. So mm -hmm. it's a significant difference. However, it is very close to where Pryor is in Caldwell. So that's, uh, yeah, Caldwell is about 30 minutes outside of Boise. So of course he wants to move it to his house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it is a thing that is done that a, a jury is sequestered from another county, for example, Ada, mm -hmm. and brought here and put up in a hotel. I mean, that is a possible thing. Mm -hmm. And and maybe um, more cost effective mm -hmm. um, because it's only moving the jury and not the entire trial and all of the witnesses and the defendants who would the have detectives. to be housed in other jails and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I thought we'll that see. was an interesting point about all the detectives that could be pulled, you know, mm -hmm. for an indefinite amount of time. Yeah. These are small police forces. And so yeah. to lose people for a significant amount of time, depending on how long they would have to be gone, especially in Fremont County. I mean, they have three detectives, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what did he say? They have they have 21 employees deputized, and that includes those that work at the jail. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And yes, Ada County is too backed up because of COVID. Ada County's right. courts are struggling too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. All of this is, this is all contingent upon when we can even have in-person trials because the state Supreme Court has stopped them again and for, for we don't know how long. So, yeah. Yeah. They can deputize more. Well, I, I, I don't know. The prior was just using that term to, you know, how he does to make himself sound smart. I think yeah. that's just basically how many, um, police officers they have in that county. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So Ooh. there you go. I don't know. I, I, prior that dude's intense, man, he's belligerent. You know, we have called, we've called proceedings with means and prior, uh, belligerent herd circuses before. And I think we can all say without a doubt, you will all agree with me. I'm sure. Yeah. Say, yeah, that, that's going on the bingo card <laughs> that that was a belligerent turd circus holy it shit certainly was how grateful are you that we didn't also have to listen to mark means with this today oh my Can god this would have gone into the second day if means had been without here this would have gone into the yeah. second day no doubt yeah. without a doubt uh, now well, now they still have to come back and argue for sequester well and and there's the uh, argument to sever the trials, which I think it's pretty clear the judge does not want to do, mm -hmm. um, again, because of the cost. Mm -hmm. So there's still so much more of this crap to come, guys. Oh, my God. I think it is so bothersome. It really is to me that that's like the cost is like paramount. 
You know, well, what is the cost of justice for the lives of everyone? Right. That these idiots have killed and or destroyed and affected. What yeah. is the cost of justice? I mean, it's, I would love to say it just should be a blank check. And I do believe that to to some degree. But God, I hate the fact that so much of this is about, well, that would be an expensive thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but um, these law enforcement agencies and these courts, I mean, they have budgets. They're trying yeah. to work within what they have, but they yeah. can't predict what crazy crimes may be committed in their communities too. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's, it's a hard thing, but you know, that's mm-hmm. why I'm sure there's a hope that these two take a plea. Yeah. That that possibility well, does arise at some point. That also means that they may take pleas that as the public, we don't like, mm-hmm. you know, it could be that they end up taking pleas that uh, keep them behind bars forever, but that as a public, we go, that sucks and it's not fair right. because uh, because of this very thing. Mm-hmm. We'll see. You know, I mean, I, I think they're both very unwise to go to court, to go all the way through trial with the death penalty on the table, considering the things that they've done and, and just what we know of the evidence that's out there that, right, that because there's to so them having more. done it. Yeah, yeah, and there's so much more. We don't know what was presented at the grand jury, but it was definitely a lot more. Yeah. You know? Oh, even can you imagine as a juror getting to sit through or having to sit through a slideshow of the crime scene? No. Uh, you know, uh, those babies being dug up and they're, I, I can't even fathom no. what that will do to a jury. Well, yeah. I know there's the cost of the trauma of this case for yes. law enforcement, for the courts, for the jury, for the families, you know, is it's it's a cost that can never be fully paid. No, no. Yeah, it's true, Chris. If we uh, just let the out of jail for a minute, this would be over. Yeah, especially living where we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then again, then we're going to be in court now. again for something else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. We will be back with a new case that will be breaking tonight, mm-hmm. our Wednesday case. And then we will be back tomorrow night with our regular case updates. And we'll be back Thursday night with the Psychic Hour. It is at 8 p.m. Uh, Mountain right now. And it will be marching orders for the month of October, which is going to be really fun. Yep. Yeah, so we have lots more great programming coming up. Make sure you check out this week's cases so far. Yeah. These are some very current active cases. We're covering some really current stuff right now that uh, we want to keep up with, and we will continue to update in our updates. Yeah. Yep. Yes, Fran, any way you look at it, there's a cost in every capacity. Yep. There definitely is. Well, thanks for hanging with us today, you guys. We know it's been long and annoying and frustrating, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. We are all tired of listening to John Pryor speak. So y'all go do something nice for yourselves. Thanks, Thanks guys. Take care. Bye.